Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, today we stand before you to discuss the case of John Walsh, a man who was portrayed as a hero by some and a criminal mastermind by others. As we delve into the evidence, we must ask ourselves, is John Walsh truly guilty of covering up crimes for criminals or is he merely a victim of a twisted system? From the moment he entered the scene, Walsh's actions suggested a man driven by a desire to bring justice. He, along with his team, worked tirelessly to catch those who had plagued our society with fear and chaos. However, as we examine the evidence, we must question whether Walsh acted alone or if he was simply a tool used by a larger criminal organization. The truth is, no matter how well-intentioned Walsh may have been, he has now become a tool in the hands of those who would use him for their own nefarious purposes. We must consider the possibility that John Walsh is not only guilty of covering up crimes for criminals, but is also guilty of aiding and abetting them. As we weigh the evidence, we must also consider the lives that John Walsh has taken and the families that he has left behind. The damage he has caused is far greater than any crime he may have committed, and it is upon us, the people, to bring him to justice. In conclusion, we must ask ourselves, is John Walsh truly guilty of covering up crimes for criminals, or is he a victim of a twisted system. As we deliberate upon this question, let us not be blinded by the opinions of those who sought to benefit from his actions. Let us consider the evidence and reach a fair judgment upon this case. May the truth prevail. Good evening and welcome to Reexamined with Megan Walsh. I am Megan's co-host, Gino, and returning our favorite researcher, Megan, Miss Lindsay McBrayer. There she is. Look at She just appeared. Lindsay, how are you? <laughs> I, I don't know if you're muted or not, Lindsay, but Megan, how are you? I'm good, Gino. How are you? Great. Nice scenery behind you. Looks uh, looks cozy, looks comfy. Are you on vacation? What's going on there? I'm, I'm you know, I'm embracing tonight's uh, content and topic and rising to the occasion, right? I, I'm in sunny Florida and I thought we'd just, you know, keep it going. Thanks. Thanks. I like yours. I like <laughs> Thank yours. you. Thank you. Yeah, there's my uh, fingerprint. Yeah. I really, I do like this one. I like how it kind of glows behind me. I don't know. It's kind of it's got this good. vibe going. Anyway, you're Lindsay. Embracing you're embracing it. Yeah. Yes, I and am. we have beautiful Lindsay, Lindsay in her beautiful home. How are you, honey? Good. Oh, is it muted? Do you have the microphone? Can you hear it? 
Can you hear her? I cannot hear her. It was work. Why was it? It was day. just working. How was it not working? How about now? There you go. Excellent. Oh, okay. Volume. Excellent. I still had the mute on. I, I, um, oh. <laughs> on the other one? <laughs> yeah, I did that. How are you, Lindsay? Thanks for rejoining us and uh, bringing your research with you tonight. How are you? Good. Good. Excellent. So tonight, this should be very interesting. I'm excited about this because I don't really... I haven't delved into it too far because I kind of wanted to be surprised with it. I mean, me and Lindsay went over it a little bit. I know Megan knows some of it. But Lindsay is going to explain the uh, Bush, I call it the syndicate. She calls it the criminal family. You can call it whatever you like. Yeah. We just know that <laughs> they're not really good people. But we're going to look at some connections, some strange connections that may connect John Walsh with the Bushes and some other nefarious characters going back into the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and even into you know maybe modern times. We don't know. But... Lindsay, uh, you've done some amazing research. I know you spend lots of hours at night doing this. I don't know how you do it. I don't, you stay up to what, five, six in the morning digging into the stuff? I literally can't stop until it's done. Can't stop, won't stop. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, it's like crazy. Like, it's like one of those things, it's like you want to do something until it's like done at like work or something. Like, it's like a task that has to be completed. And, like, when I, I'm, like, one of those people, like, I'm going to complete it that day. I'm not going to, like, procrastinate or wait. But this is, like, over, like, a period of time. So it's kind of the same concept, you know? Like, I'm not going to stop. I mean, I know I have to sleep, yeah. so I try to get sleep in. But it's, like, I wake up thinking about it. I'm, like, no, okay, I got to find more. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why we all get along in that similar respect. We're, like, we want this we want to get this out we want resolve yeah. to this and we're not going to stop until we do and it's because yeah. it's so doable i think and before Lindsay gets into stuff i do want to interject a moment to just remind viewers or those that are just joining us thank you for joining us please don't forget to you know subscribe sign up hit the the likes and the pills and all that good stuff i'll be that guy um but it really does help us with um, getting this out and, and, you know, eyes on this and awareness. So we thank you for that. And please don't forget. Um, but I do want to remind uh, and also, you know, put this forward for people just joining us that, you know, again, this is how this started. And I think that that beginning video was really fair because, and I, and I thank you, Lindsay put that together. Um, she did an incredible job with really portraying, which has been important to me, um, that notion of, is this someone that was taken advantage of, um, or is this someone that maybe had more nefarious ties early on or knew more of what they were doing? You know, we're, that's what, that's again, a basis of why we're here. That's what started getting me in trouble and got my children taken was just kind of looking at the history um, before the disappearance of Adam, before a media narrative was put forward to the people, um, which it which was very jarring and very horrific and, and really um, that forward trajectory, if you will, of, of you know, my parents being in the media on such wide and national platforms um, and then cre the creation of the National Center and then America's Most Wanted, it was really that trajectory and that forward momentum that really kept the public, if you will, um, in the space that, you know, it was, you know, the stranger danger, the lookout, the big, you know, all these different notions that we talk about, but also um, not really looking at, which we would normally do as 
police work or detectives or uh, journalists or researchers or historians, we would look at the history of, you know, who were John and Revae Walsh beforehand? What are the connections? What are the ties? That's what got me started, you know, to start asking these questions and thinking and researching into my brother's case. Obviously, not only knowing the abuse that I had endured or the ways that my parents were knowing them behind closed doors versus this public persona, but also this narrative versus truth or this, you know, what was put out and moved forward future versus the past and the history of who these people were before uh, Adam went missing and who they became. You know, we've said before, we see this great kind of wardrobe change, if you will, from these hippie, you know, Tavistock type, you know, 16 and 22 meeting in a nightclub in upstate New York, you know, by the Finger Lakes and Buffalo and all of that to then, you know, and going to Woodstock and, you know, out in California and all of that kind of stuff. And then ending up in Florida, um, at the Diplomat Hotel in Hollywood, Florida, um, you know, and, and what my father, you know, actually was versus, you know, this, I mean, how, how would it be for me? I'm watching this and I support my parents. We basically lived for my parents, you know, when they needed us, how they needed us, you know, what they needed us to be and say, and you're doing this for media, but then you're like, well, wait a second, you're not like this all-American family and like were these, you know, average working class parents at the time. You even tell the public how you were a hotelier, you were doing these huge developments. You quote, you know, during the Gabby Petito case, you say Brian, you know, might be in paradise or, you know, he might be in the Bahamas and you used to work on Paradise Island, you know, and things like this. So that's what started me looking into, you know, we need to look at not just Otis Tool and the media narrative and the head found in Indian River and, and all these things, but we really need, and also looking at the records, and that's how we, you know, moved through that and towards that is looking and doing this kind of stuff that we've presented here on Reexamined, but also to look at who were John and Revae Walsh before and leading up to the disappearance of their child, what was going on in their home, what was their lifestyle, you know, all these things that, um, you know, lead to where we're at in present day as well. And, and what I think that if people, why I felt it was important is because I feel like if people look at this case, you know, in hindsight, after 42 years, um, it's a very different presented situation. I think everyone here that has gone through the records would agree um, highly with that. So, um, so that's why I feel it's important. And again, just this emphasis on who were they before? What is the history? This is not conspiracy theory. These are, you know, documented proofs. This is creating a timeline. This is placing people properly. This is the work that, again, law enforcement or journalists or anyone else would do in, in other, uh, under other titles. Um, and so that's what we're presenting here tonight. And, and Lindsay has done an amazing job at really going in. You know, we all have our different veins. Penny Shepard uh, was amazing, really looking back at my father and starting to connect. Um, and Lindsay has really taken that to a deeper level as far as the past and within the Bahamas and South Florida, which is very important, especially when we're talking about things like Epstein and child trafficking um, and, and all the 
and we won't go we won't go on a tangent on that everything that we're dealing with today in those realms and and surrounding those issues and those figures and people so um you know i want to thank again everyone that's viewing tonight and also lindsay for your hard work gino for always showing up but i think it's important that we you know, look at the history and put it in terms of what were these ties, especially when we look at the the forward history of John Walsh and who his affiliates were, um, the work that he's done, how he was presented uh, also as a TV host, but really his, uh, you know, he originated on Capitol Hill. You know, I was there weeks old being presented to Reagan in the, in the Rose Garden. And then later when I was older with the picture that everyone sees on Twitter of me, um, and then subsequently after that with Bush and different presidents for different things that, you know, are they really protecting the American people or what could be the nefarious side of it? So anyways, that's my little rant for tonight because Lindsay has done all the research, like Gino said, and we're really handing it over to her tonight. I'm so proud and so pumped. So thank you, Lindsay. So yep. we will get started. Um, the first connection... Uh, made was with the magnificent um, Bush crime family, as some people know, some people might not know, um, to uh, link them to Florida and um, to John Walsh. And so we're going to be talking about the players um, who were involved, how they connected to him, in which ways and which methods do they use. Um, and so just to get started, I have this video um, with a former reporter that's um, we're going to play um, with. It's um, an old 80s video. So, you know, he's trying to get information out back then about um, what was going on and nobody wanted to hear him even then. So um, he really does do a good job of explaining what they were doing. And so then once you, after this, we're going to apply this to um, John Walsh's life and how it was incorporated into that. And so how you can see the exact connections. So we'll start with the video. Right. And just a forewarning, we will be stopping and going throughout this video. So um, both Lindsay and, and just Megan to bring can bring up different points. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. All and right, here we go. Play, different key players. Yeah. Awesome. Today, Alternative News will interview Pete Bruton concerning his book, The Mafia, CIA, and George Bush. Pete is a former Houston Post reporter who broke the story of the connections between the SNL scandal and the CIA, exposing how CIA assets would borrow money from the SNLs to finance off the book operations and then declare bankruptcy and leave U.S. taxpayers with the bill. Well, for the past five years, Pete has been tracking down who actually profited from the SNL scam, who the main players were, and how they skimmed off their money. Lo and behold, Pete discovered that the beneficiaries of the SNL scandals were friends of George Bush and his family. So the Bush Reagan Bush administration and Congress decided that they were going to deregulate, quote unquote, savings and loans. Hey, Lindsay, I think you need to mute your mic. Yeah. And this allowed SNLs to basically invest their money and lend their money on anything they wanted to, and was an open invitation to the criminal element. And sure enough, the mafia 
was one of the first people, uh, groups involved in looting SNLs in the early 80s. And the deregulation that Bush was in charge of did that. So we, in a sense, were financing these covert illegal operations. Uh, it's the way that, of course, Oliver Norton, William Casey, it's the way that George Bush, the way they like to do things. Now, in Texas, we found a, a Louisiana monster named Hurricane Bibi, yeah. who was controlling SNLs in a different way than Linda. And we found Bibi and Linda together in many, many different places across the country, and many connections between the two. This SNL that, that Benson bought after he got out of, of Jefferson. Uh, became Connell Savings, and that purchase was financed by Herman K. Beebe. So it's possible that mafia money went to Lloyd Benson. The subject that has been ignored by the establishment media. Pete Bruton has written a book about it, and we talked with him right now on Alternative Views. What I'm saying is that this type of what I call a voodoo economic policy, it just isn't going to work. Last night, Vice President Bush was asked about that and corrected the record. Well, what I said back then, it's, it's very hard to find. The, you know, actually, let me start over. One, I didn't say it. Nobody, every network looks for it, and none can find it. It was never said. Bush's role was on many levels. Hey, Gino, First you can stop real quick. President during Reagan Bush. I, I've, I've stuck that in there, you guys, just because, just to go to show he's a liar. Mm-hmm. FYI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, George Bush was known to um, tell a fib or two here and there. Mm -hmm. Yep. You can start. You can continue now. Okay. Years, he was the head of the Reagan Bush deregulation efforts across the board, and that included savings and loans. And the deregulation of savings and loans that occurred primarily in 1982 with the uh, St. Germain Darn Bill, um, basically opened up savings and loans to the crooks. Uh, SNLs have traditionally just done home mortgage lending uh, to middle-class Americans, and they succeeded very well for 50 years. Uh, they had some problems then in the late 70s and early 80s with the inflation, so the Bush, Reagan Bush administration and Congress decided that they were going to deregulate, quote-unquote, savings and loans. And this allowed SNLs to basically invest their money and lend their money on anything they wanted to. Bush uh, also, as vice president, either he or his top aides intervened in the federal regulation of the biggest fair savings loan in the country at that time, Sunrise Savings in Boynton Beach, Florida. The CEO of Sunrise went out to Bush's office when he was vice president. And the story varied. He tells one story one time and one story another. And there was no Federal Home Loan Bank Board investigation. It was just shut down. Uh, we find if you look at the major borrowers at Sunrise, you find mafia people, you find CIA people, and you find a Houston businessman named John Riddle, who ties into the circle of Houston businessmen that George Bush comes from. And Riddle, at this time, was involved in the transshipment of arms to the Middle East. Now, the top number two official at the Federal Home Loan Bank Board and Fairbanks was in this meeting with the Sunrise CEO when he was asking them to get the Fed's office back. Number two borrower at Hill Financial was John Riddle's buddy, a Houston builder named Mike Atkinson, who at that time was transshipping arms to the Middle East. So you find a connecting thread 
through uh, arms to the Middle East and savings and loans. Let's sing. The same everywhere you look, there are certain things going on. The CIA and the Mafia, and uh, there were drugs that were being run back uh, into the United States. There were illegal arms being uh, procured and sent to uh, the Contras, as well as to Iran. And Iraq, as we now know. And Iraq. They figured out a scheme, and, and the head of the scheme was a New York mobster named Mario Renda, mm -hmm. who went to jail for like less than three years. Uh, he was convicted in New York, Florida, and Kansas City. Uh, Renda would collect money from various institutions like pension funds and credit unions, bundle it up into $100,000 bundles so it was covered by federal deposit insurance, and then place it in savings loans all across the country, billions of dollars. Okay, Lindsay, you want to elaborate on that a little bit? I'm sorry, the, the timestamps, if you look at the video, it it's not a, the timeline doesn't move for some stupid reason. I don't know why. It's not like YouTube or something because this is recorded. It's not moving. So just yell at me and tell me to stop it, Lindsay. So, oh, okay, I will. But I think yeah. we're about the spot. He hasn't talked about the that one smuggler yet. Oh, okay. Um, All right, so go a little bit think... further then? Yeah. Okay. Um, let me see. Um i'll just play it just i think i stop. think i did i did i think i just did it normally i think i just um i stopped you when i needed to stop you earlier okay. yeah and then yeah um this is just to reiterate real quick uh, oh. there he is okay we'll go back well i'll just i'll just say this real quick just just to remind people um while no no sorry y'all um uh he's supposed to be in his room playing but sorry okay. he's cute. um we're all both the kids no. <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> and he just wants to be with me today for some reason sure anyway so ignore him so sorry um anyways I'll i wanted to reiterate <laughs> the fact that during all this time uh this is during the time of uh right before adam was taken and right during the midst of it and uh and it continued after obviously too but um during this time reagan was president and um george bush was vice president and so george bush was doing all this through underneath reagan and he was allowing it just so uh, y'all yeah. knew that part gotcha so taking guns down to latin america for the cia now devoe's money launderer was a miami attorney named lawrence freeman Freeman had previously worked for Paul Hellowell, one of the founding fathers of the CIA, and also was laundering money for Santo Traficante, the Tampa, Florida uh, mafia boss. Can you pause real quick? Freeman drew up the documents, the sales contract for. Uh, I no I noticed like in the in the captions it didn't do it right, so uh, so it was supposed to, it was supposed to be uh, Miami. It said mania on there. <laughs> So, it was, okay. so yeah, just so y'all know, I, I'm just making. Sure, I know y'all probably heard it, heard Miami, but just in case you were reading the captions, it is Miami. Gotcha. Think, yeah. Yeah. Miami, Florida. And then Traficante <laughs> is actually the um, Santo Traficante is actually the drug dealer that he's talking about. It actually put Santo Traffic something. So just okay. so y'all know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you. Twenty-one thousand acre land deal in the Florida Panhandle, but your financial savings, the one in Pennsylvania we previously talked about, and Vision Bank savings in Kingsville, Texas, that was owned by Walter Mitchell's former son-in-law, financed. And here we have Lawrence Freeman uh, drawing up the papers involved with these people. And he's, you know, closely connected to the CIA. He had been the in-house counsel for Castle Bank and Trust in NASA. A uh, bank that was used by the mafia and the CIA to hide and launder money and was shut down when Paul Hellowell died. It appeared that many of these, these offshore money laundering operations were moved after Castle Bank failed and, and was shut down to the Isle of Jersey. And Lawrence Freeman was laundering Jack DeRoe's drug money through the Isle of Jersey. Uh, Robert Corson, uh, Mitchell's former son-in-law, and Mike Atkinson were laundering SNL money to the Isle of Jersey, along with some people in Colorado that connect to Neil Bush. The deposits into SNL, he could basically control them. He could, he had a hammer over their head. If they didn't do with his money what he wanted, he'd just pull it out. And this was called linked financing. He would place the deposits and then tell the SNLs to loan the money, to lend the money to his buddies. They would then just rip it off, take it and, and, and rip it off. Now, in Texas, we found a, a Louisiana monster named Herman K. Beebe, who was controlling SNLs in a different way than Renda. And we found Beebe and Renda together in many, many different places across the country. Many connections between the two. That's financed the purchase of savings and loans by his associates like Don Dixon at Vernon, Carol Kelly at Continental, Jerry Woods at Western, Roy Daly at First Savings East Texas. And then he would have a hammer on their head where he was holding the note. I think it's so significant what you've pointed out that this isn't just something that these relationships are something which came together suddenly when they said, oh, hey, here's a great big uh, pig, let's cut it up. There were, this is just a continuation of relationships between powerful people uh, at various levels, uh, state, local, and national, that have been going on for some time. Well, that's, that's correct. In fact, we had a sort of dry run on the SNL scandal in the mid-70s in Texas with the so-called Texas Renabank scandal, where we have the same people that showed up in the SNL crisis ripping off small Texas banks and doing the same thing, trading bad loans between each other. Uh, you can see you get one or two percent and, and it's a classic front man setup. And uh, the people, and you have to, who's really getting this money? And you start scratching and digging, you find that you're in another stratum, as you say, of businessmen who are connected to the politicians very strongly. Of course, King had strong connections too, but if you look at who got the money out of, out of Lincoln, you find uh, John Connolly and Ben Barnes getting close to $100 million. Uh, you find a little bank in Paris called Saudi European. Paris, Texas. Paris, uh, no, actually Paris, France. Paris, France. Yes. <laughs> it connects into the BCCI. Oh, I see. And uh, Keating was investing money in, in that. Um, and you start scratching the day and you find even bigger players than Keating behind this. So the same trust in the Isle of Jersey were getting drug money and SNL money and they were mixed in in the same bank accounts. CIA 
and uh, was anybody was there another layer above them like the big banks uh, they must they were getting the money uh, the benefits of the money laundering from drugs because they would uh, be laundered through the uh, US big banking system well, were they also benefiting from this uh, even a uh, yes. same level or higher level well the banks and insurance companies believe it or not were some of the big institutions got bailed out by the SNLs if you had a piece of property or an office building, the, the first mortgage or the first lien on it might be held by a big bank or big insurance company. And when the savings loan would come in and take out everything and refinance the whole deal, the banks and SNLs would get paid off by the savings loan. In fact, that happened in the Khashoggi deal. Uh, Texas Commerce Bank had a $15 million a mortgage against Khashoggi's property. And the money to pay off that mortgage came from mainland savings and also Lamar savings in Austin uh, joined in in that. So Texas Commerce Bank got all their money back from the savings and loans. In fact, it happened time and time again. A piece of property will have a first big first mortgage by a bank or insurance company that will get paid off by the SNL when they take the whole deal out. Santo Traficante, the Tampa, Florida uh, mafia boss. Freeman drew up the documents, the sales contract for the 21,000 acre land deal in Florida Panhandle, the Hill Financial Savings, the one in Pennsylvania we previously talked about, and Vision Bank Savings in Kingsville, Texas, that was owned by Walter Mitchell's former son-in-law, financed. Here we have Lawrence Freeman uh, drawing up the papers and involved with these people, and he's you know closely connected to the CIA. when they sold it to a man named Guillermo Hernandez Cartaya. Uh, Cartaya is one of, one of the really bad boys of the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> and he, he's a Cuban exile, fought in the Bay of Pigs, was a member of the infamous uh, 2506 Brigade, uh, had been involved in, in narcotics trafficking, money laundering, gun running, terrorist activities out of Florida with a company called World Finance. The IRS and the FBI had close to 200 people investigating world finance in the mid-70s. And Alt was ready to pop Cartaya big when the CIA stopped them and came in and, and basically had the, the investigation dismantled. And uh, as a result, Cartaya was just convicted on income tax charges. At that very same time, he comes and buys Jefferson Savings from the Benson family okay and proceeds to loot it and run drug money through it uh, when the Justice Department came in to investigate Cartaya were brought in by the Texas regulators and, and Art Leiser who was the chief SNL examiner for the state of Texas brought in the feds um, the CIA came down and met with the prosecutor and asked him to back off Cartaya because of all the favors Cartaya had done for our government including it turns out scamming about $30 million from a uh, United Arab Emirates bank uh, with the apparent permission of the CIA. <laughs> the next year after that happened, uh, Cartaya was again indicted along with his partner, Camilo Padreda, another Cuban exile in Miami. That indictment was stopped for some reason. 
the Justice Department said later it was flawed. But if it's flawed, <laughs> why did they draw it up? Uh, Camilo Padreda shows up 10 years later as a partner of Jeb Bush, the president's son in Miami. Now, um, when I found out about Cartaya and also Jefferson Saves the fact that Lloyd Benson had you know, owned part of that, I called up Benson's office to ask him about it. I got his press secretary, Jack DeVore. I asked him my questions, you know, what, what was Benson's role in this SNL, you know, what he owned, did he know Cartaya, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, DeVore said he'd get back to me that <laughs> 30 minutes later, I get a call from Lloyd Benson himself from the Canary Islands saying, oh yes, he had owned stock in that, but he got out of it uh, in the mid-60s and, and bought in uh, Brazosport Savings, which later became Continental Savings. Okay. And uh, then I asked him about Cartaya, he said he knew, knew it. I said, what about the CIA interference? He assured me that hadn't happened because he would have known about it. Well, in fact, I got this story straight from the prosecutor that the CIA went to. I mean, they, somebody lied. I mean, they told me a lie. Now, th this in and of itself is absolutely incredible that SNLs or banks or any institution can be sold to mafia-controlled groups. How is this even possible? Well, it's possible because um, uh, the people in power either don't know or don't want to know that these are mafia people. I mean, we did, you know, the Justice Department had not done the kind of investigation required. The Federal Home Loan Bank Board wasn't doing investigations, uh, and the press was not reporting. Of course, everybody knew who Beebe was. From the Dallas Morning News wrote about Beebe and the Texas Renabank scandal, but seemed to forget about it, you know, 10 years later when they're back involved in SNLs. And no one, you know, raised, I mean, we've got Congress not doing anything, we've got the Justice Department not doing anything, we've got the press not doing anything. The, the public is not going to find out, and, and nobody's going to know. And they had all owned a bank in Marshall, Texas, that was involved in the Texas Rent-A-Bank scandal. And uh, we find that Walters was also, apparently, and had been accused of transferring some of his ill-gotten gains to a trust on the Isle of Jersey that was being uh, funneled, drug money was being laundered through it by people in Miami, and SNL money from uh, people like Robert Corson, the CIA agent, was going also going through this trust fund. Uh, Ken Good, who borrowed over $40 million from Silverado and was Neil Bush's sugar daddy for several years, uh, had also borrowed money from Western Savings in Dallas. It was part of the Herman K. Beebe circle. Um, the biggest company that actually dealt with Silverado was MDC Holdings, it was, whose chief executive is Larry Mizell. Uh, Mizell was a big Republican donor. Uh, he held fundraisers that George Bush went to. Uh, and Mizell had established trust funds by, done by a Chicago law firm uh, whose partner was Burton Cantor. Burton Cantor was one of the founding uh, fathers of Castle Bank and Trust, the uh, bank in the Bahamas that the Mafia and the CIA were using. Uh, he was involved with uh, CIA projects, uh, Mafia projects in California. and other mafia figures. Bill Walters tore up all his brown grass and laid new green grass on his lawn just for George Bush's visit. Because they were pumping money into Neil Bush's company that was drilling dry holes in Wyoming. 
was not making any money. He was being basically, his salary was being paid by these people. And his company got a big line of credit at Bill Walter's bank. So they were supporting him. Ken Good put him on the board of directors of a Florida company he had and was paying him over $100,000 a year in director's fees. Oh I mean, outrageous. Uh, $12,000 million, I mean, $12, a month was going uh, to Neil Bush uh, for just serving on Ken Good's board. They were basically keeping him going. Uh, and Protect, he bought Protection money, it sounds like. Well, you know, it's almost somebody made the analogy that Neil Bush was sort of like the driver of the getaway car. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the cops weren't going to shoot at the president's son. And so far, all we've had is one indictment. The, uh, the CEO, uh, Michael Wise, is the only indictment so far on Silverado Savings. You, you, divorce decrees were significant. Things yes. like this. Yeah, well, you know, the, the SNLs do not the documents at the SNLs are not public. The loan documents, where the money went, the closing documents, the public can't get them. Reporters cannot get them. We cannot track the money. We don't have subpoena power. So the things you rely on are lawsuits and deed records, basically. And so uh, the divorce decrees are and divorce lawsuits are very, they have a lot of good information in them. Okay, lots to uh, absorb right there. Let me just say real quick. So, great job, Linz. Excellent, putting that together. Excellent. Um, this guy, I want to know, is this author, did he make it after this book came out? <laughs> like, this guy was divulging some heavy stuff against some really bad people. Um, yeah, he's discussing the things that he wrote about in the book. Okay, but I mean, did he make it? Like, I mean, they didn't, like, off him or anything, right? He was still around for a while, hopefully? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen anything uh, uh, that they okay, did. Good. I was wondering that, too. But I couldn't find mm -hmm. anything, like, you know, that they did anything to him. Okay. So, all right, yeah. Liz, why don't you kind of summarize what we just watched? Like, like now, how does this tie in with what we cover on this show? And John Walsh and, you know... So, in just a few moments, I will... Uh, well, it's like I think we got like another short little video about Neil Bush mm -hmm. and his like yep. involvement yep. and what his crazy right now. Channel is. Well, not yet. Um, okay. And then um, also, um, if you will, I was going to just go over Jack DeVoe was a big player, big a big jug smuggler. Um, he was the one that went through the uh, Bahamas Bank, mm -hmm. um, the major bank, the Castle Rock that, that they talked about. And um, they all, all the businesses would use, you know, this main bank just so they could get the, the drug money through the United States. So right. um, if you'll play that, um, that one clip, it does explain a lot sure. uh, in this yeah. one about Jack DeVoe. Witness Which, testifies uh, he laundered funds from smuggling. As president of DeVoe Enterprises, one of James Malone's duties was to turn dirty money into clean money, but he was on the job for about two years before he realized the money was derived from cocaine smuggling operations, he testified in court Thursday. Malone, a former reporter for the Miami Herald and WPLG-TV Channel 10 in Miami, started working for Jack DeVoe in 1979 after he told DeVoe that he was tired of the newspaper business and wanted to make some big money, DeVoe testified earlier this week. 
Both men are among those testifying at the Palm Beach County Jail on behalf of the prosecution in the cocaine smuggling and racketeering trial of Jose Antonio Pepe Cabrera Sarmiento. Cabrera is accused of being the leader of a Colombia-based smuggling ring that imported 16,000 pounds of cocaine, worth more than $1 billion, into the United States between June 1982 and November 1983. DeVoe, Malone and Cabrera were among 42 people indicted by a statewide grand jury, accused of participating in the ring. DeVoe was charged with running the transportation organization that brought cocaine from Colombia to the United States for distribution. Both DeVoe and Malone testified against Cabrera as a part of a plea agreement with the state. DeVoe has served 34 months of an eight-year sentence. Malone was sentenced to probation and community service, given a new identity, and placed in a witness protection program. You know, uh, Truthington over in the Rumble chat says, many of these names are found when researching the assassinations of John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy. Both CIA and mob names, same players. Interesting. Yep. They're all connected, and that's how they do it. They cover for each other. Yep. Constantly. Um, so okay. you want to play the Neil Bush one real quick? What well, were you let saying? Me let's, real, real quick about yeah. Malone. Okay, this guy, so he, yeah, he's a reporter, right? He's just some guy reporting, and he's a little ticked off. I was reading more about him that he wasn't making mm -hmm. enough money, and he's like, mm -hmm. "Well, how can I make some money on the side?" And he he gets involved with Devoe, and Devoe kind of puts him in this position, and the guy like starts obviously he's making more money. <laughs> he's dealing cocaine for crying out loud, um, and then there's a bunch of cops involved. Right. There was like I don't three cops, I think three or four cops were involved mm -hmm. in this little scam, too. So, you know, this is it's not like these Wait. were just like thugs off the street or some gang members that they know. These guys were professionals in yep. the community. Well, and I, I also want to remind people and I didn't pull it for tonight because I, I I'm handing it over tonight, I have to admit. But we have to remember also that during the time, at the same time and leading up to Adam's case pr right prior to it was, uh, you know, Miami homicide detectives and, and people within the police force being busted for working with the mobs and with the cartels and, and mm -hmm. wanting to be part of it versus, um, you know, the police force, if you will. Yep. Okay, Lindsay, you want me to play the, uh, the video? Put my hands on it right now, but but while we're on that subject, I found a news article um, from, I think it was 1978, uh, where John Monahan, uh, which is John Walsh's first boss uh, at the Diplomat uh, Hotel, he had an ad in there, and he said, um, "Looking for someone who wants to make big money? Call me at blah blah blah." What? Yeah. Yep, I'm gonna find oh it gosh. in a minute. Yes, please. While we're showing the next video, try yep. looking for that. I want to. Yeah, dance. you sent it to me last week. It's like mind. Oh it's so. I know. It's like a bad Craigslist ad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Craigslist. All right, so this Neil Neil Bush video we're gonna show here shows some ties with like Hinkley, right? Now we all know who John Hinkley is, but uh, let's check this out. Socialist Party of America, where the group's president says Hinckley was booted out of the party in 1979 after a year's membership. Mike, why was he kicked out? Well, for his attitude, you know, he uh, kept talking about uh, going out and uh, shooting people and blowing things up. A touch of irony. 
The young man walking with the elder Hinckley is 30-year-old Scott Hinckley, John Jr.'s brother. He and Vice President Bush's son, Neil, are friends. You guys, look on they here. It to says dinner March together 81. In 81 is the same year of Adam's disappearance. July. Tonight, the plans have been canceled. Stephen Gear, ABC News, Denver. Oh, my goodness. National Savings and Loan Scandal. Rita Braver reports on what federal regulators concluded. The government agency that supervises savings and loans today formally declared that Neil Bush engaged in conflicts of interest while serving as a director of the failed Silverado SNL. The chief of the Office of Thrift Supervision would not discuss his decision. No, really can have no comment. ...was too lenient. We're out a billion dollars in terms of this particular institution. It seems to me the least we could say is you're, you stay out of the business for five years, you don't come back into this. Bush has been ordered to do nothing more than obey the law. This is a slap on the wrist with a velvet hammer. Today's action may be the least of Neil Bush's problems. Still pending against Silverado, a $200 million civil suit, and a federal fraud investigation. Rita Braver, CBS News, Washington. And if Washington doesn't have enough to talk about these days, the Washington Times reported today that unidentified White House aides in the Carter, Reagan, and Bush administrations now are being investigated for using the services of a callboy ring. The paper reports that two of the male prostitutes were given a late-night tour of the White House last year. The White House press secretary, Marlon Fitzwater, said he knew nothing of this investigation. NBC's Lisa Myers reports her sources in the U.S. Attorney's Office say the investigation is not focusing on prostitution, but on fraud involving the use of credit cards to pay for the callboy services. Practices. Sources confirmed like a Washington Times report today that D.C. police and the Internal Revenue Service are investigating a male prostitution ring whose clients may have included people connected to the Bush and Reagan administrations. But the sources told CBS News there is no indication at present that the investigation involves any high government or military officials. Interesting. Um, I don't know if y'all caught this, but stop. Um, but um, Hinkley was BFF with Neil Bush, and they, and then he's um, charged with the attempted murder of Reagan. Mm -hmm. So how I'm relevant? Sure how, I mean, Lindsay, Lindsay, it's a coincidence. Come coincidence. On. Yeah. Yes. You're right. That's the answer. That's. But I find it very interesting at the end there, like uh, this little prostitution ring or something going on at with boys. the White House. Yeah, that's odd. With boys, what's, what, yeah. What's all this about? And and it ties in with the Franklin scandal, yep. apparently. Yep. Not, not leading up to the same time that Adam just disappeared, yep. right? And this whole national tragedy happens that redirects everything. Not at all. No. Nope. Let's, yeah, can you elaborate a little bit on the Franklin, how that all tied in with the Franklin stuff? Uh -huh. Lindsay, do you, do you know any of that? Uh, I thought you were talking to Megan. Not to, sorry, not to put you on the spot. Or either of you, actually, yeah. So, okay. Um, so it goes with a guy named Larry King. Um, he was a creditor. Little North Fox Island. Mm. He was a creditor at, the, at, a, at this bank. 
what I forget what state was it? Remind me. Well, well, he's related to Little North Fox Island, and he was the like the predecessor to Epstein, essentially, and he's yeah. still out. Go ahead. And there's, yeah, um, and he was um, actually pointed out to be as one of these guys involved in this prostitution of these little boys in this um, group of boy of uh, this boy home um, that was under a priest and. Um, he actually got more indicted on his bank fraud and didn't and that didn't get any investigation or anything on the you know accusations of the other um sexual exploitation right. of boys he, he ran so he he also ran for position for an elected official under the republican yep. party uh as well as what she's referring to as boys town which was that project that, again, is very NAMBLA, North American Man Boy Lovers Association, this ideology of how to raise boys and keep them. Boys Town on the surface was, you know, the, we're raising up young men. It's a, it's a male-driven community, all of that. But really underlying uh, from what we found and what's been reported, at least, um, and alleged is you know, the, the fact that this was the ideology that's very, like I said, NAMBLA us that, you know, we have to sex before eight or it's too late. I know that that's a different, it's not NAMBLA related, it's a different uh, uh, tagline, but that is the tagline, the ideology, to put it simply um, in terms of the ideology that this is how we should really raise children and specifically boys. So it was a boys community um, for fostering and mentoring that we see a lot of today. So yeah, go ahead, Lindsay. Well, and then also, um I found out where they were. I'm sorry. Where I'm sorry. And I wanted to extend that to where they were actually bringing boys as interns to the White House is the connection. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Um, is the connection there is that they were actually recruiting boys from there to be, you know, under the guise of being interns and, you know, raising themselves up. Right. And pursuing their dreams and under the grooming. And then they were taken to the White House. And that's how that transpired. Right. Well, and then also at the same time, uh, in that realm of years, uh, late seventies, early eighties, there was a lot of boys that would supposedly be runaways that they called is what they called them. And mm -hmm. they would literally go into prostitution on the street to get money yeah. and they wouldn't do anything about it. Yeah, the they would, they're blaming and they still use that excuse to this day when, when the national center and the FBI is quoting that, you know, 88 to 92%, like I always say, and that's only the reported uh, amount of, of child trafficking in America domestically comes from the foster care system. You know, to say that this is runaways, well, there's many things we could argue against that. First of all, children, if it's so wonderful in the system and you're saving them from abuse, then why would they be running away? But, you know, more importantly, it's like, so now we're we're shaming victims and those victims are children. Like why are that why are we doing that? That doesn't make sense. And, and most funny. of the boys would wind up dead. They would find them dead. Yes. And at the time, and you're absolutely right, and to add to that further is that during the time uh surrounding and especially leading up to, as I said, Adam's disappearance. Uh, statistically, we know that actually more boys were going, little young boys were going missing or mm -hmm. found murdered than actually little girls. Um, yeah. you know, they only wanted the boys. Yeah. 
Yep. And, and that was, you know, Adam's case was not, even though it was put out on the national news. And I know a lot of qu people have always questioned, like, why do some cases, you know, be picked and put nationally versus others? Um, and there's been a lot of debates even in the racial realm about that. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of cases that were going on, even in South Florida, especially, um, mm -hmm. of little boys and children being found, uh, you know, murdered or, you know, missing and, and different things like that. So, well, and it was all over the country, but, um, you know, a lot more in Florida and New York than others. Right. Specifically. Um, yeah. Like you can, I could just name off a couple is, um, the Whittington boy. And they're always cute boys. It was always, it was always the cute one that you wanted to pinch their cheeks. Like looks just like Adam, like literally all of them look so similar. They do. They do. Uh, and also a lot of the elements of their cases are all very similar yep. to speak to that as well. Mm -hmm. So this prostitution, were they doing it on the streets of DC and surrounding yep. areas? Wow. Yeah. Boy, they were just on the, yeah. And they would look for clients like they were grown adults Man. is what they, their story was. I mean, D.C., when you go and you're actually in D.C., it's a very gray atmosphere to begin with, like literally from, a, you know, from that perspective. But um, you also there's prostitutes on like every corner at a certain time at night. Like, you know, we used to go down there and stay in the hotels for different openings or my father had an apartment and, and right outside and different things. But when you're in downtown DC, there's, there is a lot of prostitution that goes on. It's just like when I lived down on wall street, Manhattan, you know, there's, there's prostitution for, uh, and also dominatrix and, and different things hidden up in, you know, buildings, uh, you know, for the businessmen specifically for the high paying clients. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and are we, and I, I mean, are we, ahead, I was just to say, are we like supposed to sit around and pretend like this isn't even going on today? Of course it is. But that's like, what they did. And that's what no, they did back conspiracy. then. That's conspiracy. And they would say, and then the boys would, were interviewed, some of the boys were interviewed and they would say, well, why are you doing this? Well, I have to make money. Mm-hmm. That's what they would say. I have to, I have to survive and eat is what they would tell them. Yeah. To this day that's happening. I mean, even through the system, when children age out of the system, they are literally put, there are many testimonies, proof, everything. This is not like a questionable thing anymore. They are, when they age out, they are put on the street, just like you are released from jail, like your local mm -hmm. jail. You have yeah. your garbage bag of your clothes or whatever, things that you retained over the years or through the different foster homes or group homes or mm -hmm. on your 40 different medications. That's another aspect of it, you know, not to bring that in, but it's very real. This is how that transpires this is how these children are made vulnerable and it's made out like it's their fault or that it's the parents fault or that it's not anyone but the government and the officials and the people they're taking authority over this and th these children to this day are put out especially to this day are put out on the side of the road you're the gates are opened you walk out with your trash bag and you're 18 years old and it and and that also then leaves that leaves children up to multiple things this is the prison pipeline 
Okay. So they've, a lot of them have already been convicted of juvenile, uh, you know, issues and things. So they're already in the system. They're already in the system as a juvenile. When you're taken in as a ward of the state, you're made a juvenile delinquent. So every child, whether they're saying I'm helping children or not, when they're taken into the system, like my five day old baby, she was marked in the paperwork and on the databases and everything as a juvenile delinquent in a ward of the state. So we already have children being raised by our government, like Hillary Clinton and Margaret Sanger and Dr. Kinsey and all of them wanted. So, and I have a train going by at this point. <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry, guys. Um, but, you know, we have we have that happening. And then the, uh, so there goes the prison pipeline. You know, children are ending up from juvenile, especially the males, into the prison system. Or you're put out. And like Lindsay said, whether you're male or female, you have to learn how to survive. Or you have to survive some way, I should say. And that usually ends up, if you're on the street still and free, that ends in sex trafficking and, and selling yourself to survive which then goes into drug addiction. And many of these children, like I said, are released on at least 40 to, you know, 20 to 10 prescriptions that they've been taking for years and being doled out through these, uh, either their foster parents or through the group home that they're in, where we even have accounts of children being all fed the same prescriptions, that amount, uh, in every group home, and that extends into the local contracts of who is contracted locally, what pharmacy meaning, what pharmacies, what doctors are prescribing this and supplying this um, to the children. So I know I that's a little bit of a long-winded thing on CPS when that's not our thing here, but um, that's how this results in these boys being vulnerable on the streets, and it's happening to this day at, a, even, at an even more rampant uh, rate. You know what's really sick about this? I was thinking about this D.C. thing. If these kids are running around on D.C. streets, yeah. this just proves the point that our government is useless. It's literally on the streets of our capital. And they see it. You know, what do they turn up? Like, oh, I didn't even know that was going on. Are you kidding me? They're part of it, obviously. Some of these guys are sickos and taking these kids back to hotels or whatever. But aside from that, let's just assume they're not doing that. You know what's going on right there in, yeah, in the are. District it's of Columbia? Known. Oh, I know it, that. I'm just and they are. Playing, it's, it's known, but that, I, I mean, I know yeah. you know, but yeah. the thing is, is that it's known. Like, even if you're a driver for a politician, I mean, we've had, we've even had, you know, things come out even in mainstream media. Okay. There it is. Cliche. But, um, you know, about drivers and different people that have had to pick, that have picked up, you know, prostitutes for different politicians, been paid off. Um, it's something I grew up with, you know, my father arrived at my 15th birthday with, you know, a black eye stitches in his hip and some kind of thing on his leg and said that his driver bumped, you know, rear ended someone in DC. And later I find out that it was some substance induced, you know, drunken tryst with one of his mistresses where she called my mother on the phone and my mom was on the phone the entire time. And my dad's hiding in the bathroom. And, you know, that's, that's things that, I mean, I, again, people don't understand how these people live. So, and, and how, I guess that's the way to put it in short. And DC is definitely a hub, you know, that goes into Alphantas with the crazy pizza gate. It goes into, but more deeply, that's where also I'll tie in Jeff Coons. We're getting a little off the bush subject, but you know, this all ties in together and the national center and the international center for missing exploited children 
Uh, Jeff Koons is a big player in that, and he originated in the DC art world. So this is government, art, uh, prostitution. All I mean, of it. Yeah. It's all of it. Drugs, drugs go with prostitution. They literally you're are cocaine. You're doing drugs when you yeah. are getting buying a prostitute. So this yeah. is not rocket and science. They, and, and they all cover for each other. Every single one of them. Every one of them do. Every yeah. single one of them. Yeah. And, and they use it as blackmail. They're using it as blackmail, right? Number one cover up, dude. Well, my my father always said, "I'm the only one that can go up to anyone in the halls of." Capitol Hill and tell them to, and pin them against the wall and tell them to yep. do what's right. And why is that? Like, well, exactly. Like, what do you know about those people? Especially when in 83, all the way back in 83, you started the National Center of Missing Exploited Children and you started collecting pedophiles and, and information, give the reports here, give everything. Um, how, how does that, I think that's a great setup for blackmail. I'll just put I'll be blunt about that. Well, and like I was talking to my husband about it last night and he, he brought up a good point, which is weird for him to do because as we know, you know, everyone doesn't know the all the story. And he was like, Well, you know what? I was thinking, and I was like, What? And he was like, You know, everyone thinks that John Walsh is a cop, but he's not. And I was like, Correct. Correct. I just wanted to put that out there just for people to if people didn't ever realize that. Just, I think uh, I just posted the article the other day that came out. Uh, I, I can't remember the date exactly, but saying that my mother, John Walsh's wife, is a criminologist. Mm-hmm. Apparently. Yeah. But yeah. I will tell you this. I've literally went through hundreds and probably thousands at this point of news articles, like divorce degrees, like he was talking about. Um lawsuits and i don't know if you know this but like anytime you were sued or you had to go to court it used to be posted in the newspaper yeah so yeah. there's hundreds of those and i have not seen anything about you know or even any articles of you know because they were telling the whole story or they say the whole story in the newspapers when when uh, adam went missing so and they, they they surely told john walsh's side of the industry and what he was in what what his job was but not once did they say anything about her base job. No, because she hasn't had, uh, with all due respect, do being the key word, she has never had one. She's very good, like we see with James Campbell, her live-in lover, uh, mm -hmm. and others. She's very good at telling people that they need to go get their act together. Um, but she, you know, that's a, that's a big heart moment actually I'll have because I wanted from the beginning, my parents to go get help and she refuses. She's the perpetual victim and she is the covert, uh, abuser behind the scenes, even of my father, but they also play hand in hand. And that's what people need to understand about, you know, celebrity couples and different things. But I did want to say to the divorce and the deeds, right? So my parents also were in an over 10-year divorce proceeding. Suddenly one day they reconciled, you know, and decided to be back together. My mother filed restraining orders. It was a horrific ordeal for our family. This is not a story. This is real life. Everyone says, you know, the Megan Wall story or this person's story. And that's really hard because these are not stories. These are actual life occurrences and abuses and, and mm -hmm. things that we've had to experience um 
but you know, again, I, I think that it is important because we have to understand the lifestyle, right? And it's only progressed as, it, you know, I like to say it's almost like my parents, when we talk about like contracts of the devil, I'm going on a little tangent here and we'll, we'll digress in a second, as I always say. But, you know, it's like, I've always said this about my parents and I think maybe it's important to say now, it's like, we talk about contracts of the devil and like, you know, when does this happen? How does this happen? What are these things? And it's like, you know, we do have to look at my parents and, and I'll digress on some aspects of this, but I think the point for the masses or for people watching is, is bigger because we don't know if John and Reve Walsh were involved and that's what we're kind of delineating tonight and talking about, and we'll get back to, but if regardless of that, when you, when something happens, this horrific, if it's not your child, if you were involved in it, if anything, you're put on a national platform, this is a very jarring thing and you're to a level traumatized in, in even just those respects, right? And then you're met with, you know, here, how, you know, the national center, here's a possibility to create this national, uh, you know, organization, and then going into America's most wanted. And again, this forward rejection where maybe, you know, you were at your lowest, no matter what the cause was, right, or why you were at your lowest, but you were presented with these opportunities. Um, and maybe even in that you thought that maybe you could do better. Right. I mean, that's a possibility yeah. as well. And you didn't know who you were getting up with. You know, I, I'm not I want people to decide and look at, at what's going on. And again, we'll get back into things that don't lead that to necessarily be a possibility. But, you know, yeah. I think that, that we do need to present that as well. But to get back to the the you know, I want to focus on, you know, we were talking about Bush and, and through a lot of those clips. I don't know if the viewers really noticed, but. Uh, there was a certain name that came up a lot, and maybe I don't know if you're getting to that or not, Lindsay. And I'll be quiet in a minute. No, but you can't um, say it. but say but it. there was a big name that was, and I believe we we focused on Neil, we focused on other things, but I believe that would be a Jeb in there. I believe yep. that there was a very prominent Jeb Bush uh, throughout those uh, articles and longstanding That's where we're history. Going with it. Yep. Yeah, that we just went over, which uh, before I hand it back over to you, I will preemptively, I guess, kind of connect that to present day where we have DeSantis, uh, go, you know, governor, former presidential candidate, uh, Ron DeSantis, ignoring the current crimes of John Walsh, regardless of the history or the past or anything speculative or obvious. Um, but he is ignoring that as well as the AG of Florida. So this is a governor and AG, which is a common uh, we're seeing across the board uh, through the CPS and family court issue. Um, but they are ignoring that. And I'd like to also point out uh, who was really behind and backing uh, DeSantis, you know, because we're kind of wondering why would the governor ignore this? Right. You know, we've, we've been in this for a long time. Yep. And we're kind of wondering, why would he be so deflective? Yep. Why would he ignore this? Why do we have people across the country calling his office to the point where they said, is this about the Walsh case? We know, you know, we, we've got it. Um, and then ghosting us after acting like they were interested through their media department. Um, but he continues to ignore this. And then, you know, we wonder why. Uh, why would this be happening? 
And then mm -hmm. uh, we see, you know, who was who was backing DeSantis? I think we we know who was backing DeSantis. Oh, that was Mr. Back. Eric Flowers. Well, and and Mr. I Jeb Bush as well. Yeah. Jeb Bush oh yeah, Do you have that clip there. still, um, Gina? Which which one? Uh, uh Jeb Bush backing DeSantis. Uh, no, I didn't upload that one. No, uh, that, okay. Megan, was that on your Twitter? I think that was on your Twitter. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. You know what's funny? Jeb, isn't it? Gosh, if, if you're Ron DeSantis and you're getting Jeb's endorsement, wow, what a, that's just exactly. amazing, isn't it? Like, like he must just be sitting back on his couch like, wow, I can't believe we got Jeb's endorsement. Like, are you kidding me? Like, what a joke. Like, that yeah. should tell you all you need to know. Well, and I well, want to say something about, since we're talking about election integrity all the time and all this kind of stuff, I will remind people of uh, when Jeb Bush went through his own election process and different things, um, I'm going to pull in uh, my father's Bahamian ex-drug trafficking bestie from their Bahama days, Hank Asher, where uh, he then turned into the the data guy for everything. And it was actually shown that he was um, involved and his technology was involved in um, really, oh gosh, what's the terminology? Because I don't get into election stuff, but, um, you know, swaying the votes and, and doing and messing with the data and the voting uh, ballots for Jeb Bush to win in Florida when he won, which was actually, wasn't it the last uh, Republican before uh, DeSantis, I think, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Trivial, yeah. but still. Um, and so Hank Asher was involved in that where they were doing stuff and I'm, I'm taking this off the cuff because I didn't know it would come up, but um, a, a gentleman by the name of Ed Opperman, he's controversial, but still he did a deep dive on this. Um, and I've been on his show several times, uh, you know, a, a year or so ago. But he uh, he revealed a lot about Hank Asher, my dad's buddy, who also they were, you know, my dad, John Walsh and Hank Asher were also in Haiti. Uh, during the Laura Silsby time and working in medical tents. So for those that know, uh, understand what I'm saying there. But anyways, uh, they, have a, you, they have a history in Florida and with Well, Tampa. I can give you a little recap of uh, who Hank Asher is, if you'd like. Yeah, for, for our viewers. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Thank you, Lindsay. So once a young pilot in South Florida and the Caribbean, Asher fell in with a group of drug smugglers in the 1980s and got into a lot of trouble, though he was never a convicted felony. So Asher sought help from uh, F. Lee Bailey, a well-known attorney who saw how Asher's network of connections and understanding of the smuggling world would help the DEA. Asher became an informant, and in turn, he then gained insight into how the early DEA computer systems worked. Thank you, Lindsay. Are we are we conveying this right? Are we connecting the dots for people? Are people connecting these dots because they're hopefully pretty significant? Yeah. Uh, do you know, do you want to give and, and it will connect even more in a few minutes? So. Yeah, I was gonna say let's uh, let's get back to our regularly mm -hmm. scheduled programming. Uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, oh man! Those Jeb Bush photos, Gina. I'm sorry, you cut out right when you said it. What what was that? The Jeb Bush photos. Yes. So the ones with Bob Graham, those yeah. ones. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. So oh, well, well, let Bob me Graham let me get was the... I, let's first first let's show this one, Lynn. Okay. Yeah. I, I like. Yeah. This is this is a cute one. With, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oops, Governor uh, shaking. Oh, that's oh that's John and Reve right there shaking. It is. So, oh, okay. Quite a wardrobe yeah, change. And this is this is Bob this is Bob Graham. He was the governor at the time of Adam's appearance. FYI. Right. Mm-hmm. And as you can tell, Reve is in her little suit. You know, she's a, she's a <laughs> right. criminal investigator now, you guys. Criminology. No, very finders cult mother like. I will say. Yep. Very reminiscent of those finders cult mothers with the short hair, the suit. I mean, a tie and everything, guys. All right, I, I'll stop. And just to reiterate, Megan had brought it up earlier. Remember, they were hippies. Mm -hmm. They were wearing sandals, no socks, right? Just kind of chilling in life. And all of a sudden, they're propped up and they're wearing these, I don't know, leisure suits? <laughs> or whatever mm -hmm. you call I don't know. What do you, what do you call them? I grew up in cool. media. We have it, we have stylists and handlers, and all of a sudden you're given these outfits to wear. It's yeah. Interesting. Mhm. Mm well, I think I think John already had his uh, his um, suits, you know, laid hotelier out. suits. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No. Right. So, uh, Lindsay, how about a little background on who Graham was? Okay, so um, John. Oh, did I say John? Not John. I lost my phone. Pretty cool. There it is. Bob Graham. Yeah. Uh, Gino put it in this nice little collage here um, for you guys to see, but I'm going to actually read some of these um, that I outlined for you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Gino. We love you. <laughs> do I get to pat myself on the back? I did something right. Yes, you do a lot, <laughs> Thanks, guys. right? Man. It means so as I'm like going through the different, you know, time zones, I try to put myself in that time zone and that er error um, of those years. And so that's when mm -hmm. I found that uh, about uh, Bob Graham, I was like, wow, he's a nice, nice looking man, you know, like, okay, maybe let's see if he's any good. And turns out he's unfortunately not. And then you, then I find that uh, he, I found that picture that Gino just showed. I was like, okay, there's more to this man. Like, what is going on with him? So, there's that. Uh, there's that. Okay, here we go. I, it wasn't me this time. No, and Lindsay, that is patented. <laughs> you cannot use that. It's patented. <laughs> that's, oh, that's man. Trademarked. Did I get it from you? I probably did. <laughs> I just realized that. Um, no one said it before. No one. So, um, that's hot. Hey, what college did he go? What college did John Walsh go to? I forget. We're just like voices behind the screen. You remember, right? Megan? I know. I know. Let me go back to that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry. It gets heavy sometimes. We have to. <laughs> what, Lynn? Sorry. Like, um, what, uh, college your dad went to? I can't think of the top he of He went head. to the University of Buffalo. Okay, that's right. Um, so. He was born in, and he still lives in to this day, in Coral Gables, Florida. This is Bob Graham. And um, he uh, graduated from Harvard Law School. He's also a an attorney. Um, he also um, served in both houses of the Florida legislature. And um, Graham won the 1978 Florida uh, election and was reelected in 1982 as governor. 
Um, and then in the 86 Senate elections, uh, Graham defeated um, Senator Paul Hawkins, and he helped found the Democratic Leadership Council and eventually became the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Um, so Graham uh, ran for the Democratic presidential nomination in 2004, and I didn't know that, um, and then where he had retired from the Senate. Um, he also served as the co-chair of the National Commission of on the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill and offshore drilling as a member of the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission and the CIA Internal Advisory Board. He works with the Graham, Bob Graham Center for Public Service under his undergraduate alma mater in Florida in, in the at the University of Florida. So there's that. And then That's one more so thing convenient. we have. He was also oh, sorry. The... I clicked on oh. this picture again. Sorry. I just, just, that, was a, that was an accident. Excellent. Sorry. <laughs> he also served sorry, as the chairman. My throat. He also served as the chairman of the commission in the prevention of WMD proliferation and terrorism. Oh. Yeah. That's terrorist. Uh, yeah. Um. So when he was elected in the Senate in 1970, he uh, restricted the both Dade and Broward County. And uh, as we know, Broward County is the uh, county that his head was found in. Well, uh, it's where he went missing. Indian oh, River. where he went missing. My bad. I had it backwards. Indian, and then Indian Rivers is the one where he had his head found. Um, so he um, was married to a school teacher. He... Um, was he was the um sorry the son of a former florida state senator also who was a mining engineer and dairy cattleman he lived so he grew up on a farm and as we know john walsh he had a farm and uh megan can elaborate on that if she wants to uh, but colts love farms yep Let's just see what else. Um... Oh, okay. What is it? A, that is a weird thing. I, I mean, let's, I don't know. It's digressing. It's not weird. It's actually, it's because it's, it's private and it's always a lot of land around and it's pretty fundamental sense. why they love farms. He also has a nickname, just like we all know what they like to do. His name was Graham Cracker. That was my grandmother's nickname. Like we called her <laughs> Cracker. Really? Okay, um, so Grandma has launched the most extensive environmental protection program also in Florida history. He focused on preserving endangered lands. And during his tenure, thousands of acres of threatened and environmentally important lands were bought or brought into the state ownership and permit, permanent protection. His keystone accomplishment was the establishment of the Save the Everglades program. I was about to say, is it anything with the Everglades? You just beat me. I was literally biting my tongue. It's saying, been a while. Since oh, was he preserving one. the Everglades? Let me guess. Yep. He, Which was no, say that again, just because I I yeah. interrupted, but it was literally because for the past. And like, this is how it explains it. His keystone accomplishment was the establishment of the state the ex Everglades program, which has now been joined by the federal government in a commitment to restore the Everglades. 
a couple things. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So, um, first of all, Honest Tool and Henry Lee Lucas and all of these, like, in the, for the faces of the media, quote unquote, serial killers. Um, and specifically Otis Tool and Henry Lee Lucas with my brother's case um, were the ones to come out and say and claim, which was debunked and all this kind of conspiracy, conspirized, uh, that they were actually hired by the CIA to be the ugly faces for the media and for the public, and that they were trained assassins in the Everglades, which actually we do find a base, an army base is in the Everglades. Um, but but furthermore, you guys, like, I hate being gross and, and grotesque, but that's the nature of what we're talking about. And <clears throat> the Everglades has a lot of alligators. It has, it's very easy to, to get rid of the body and remains in the Everglades. Um, and, and we see a lot of that happen. And Orlando with Disney is in the middle of the state. You know, the Everglades is the middle of the state guys. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's interesting. Is, is that what we, is that what we digress to? <laughs> that's interesting. Well, I think it's a great point. I mean, I'm sure yeah, it, people it, were thinking that, it, but um, you, you've got the Everglades. Of course, there's creatures out there that are going to be disposing of bodies i mean it's free you just throw them out there you don't have to worry about and it and you want don't to, have to bury them the anywhere. government is in control of it there was even mm -hmm. the disney report of the boy being dragged in the water you know a couple of years ago in the beginning of covid and everything also with indian river county for john walsh uh it's very interesting because fellsmere a lot of people don't look into fellsmere who would it's it's the middle of nowhere mm -hmm. uh and it's west of of, uh, you know, it's west from the coast, right? And, and a little more inland. Um, but if you actually keep going inland, because I used to, you know, my first boyfriend, you know, high school sweetheart, they used to live out in Fellsmere and his family had an ostrich farm. And um, and if you actually keep going west, it you know, people think that's the coast and then just, you know, mainland, but it really does actually turn into marsh and, um, and Everglades. And if you actually look at the land allotments and, and the, you know, where, where the land is bought and things out there, uh, you will see that along that Evergr Everglade region where it turns into marsh from mainland, uh, it all of a sudden becomes an Indian River County kind of conglomerate, if you will, where different people own parts of that. Um, and then when you know that it, within Indian River County on the Barrier Island, where it's a private jurisdiction of Vero Beach, or it's Indian River Shores, it's called, um, they, they have Johns Island, which harbors the wealthiest of wealthiest. They have their own star island, like in Miami. Um, and what they do is when the, it's well known in town, this is something I was outing that got the sheriff to you know, go along with daddy's plan, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but they, it's well known in Vero that. And I did want to say while we're on this too, I forgot to put this in there for Juno, but um, the CIA actually bought the uh, the land where Disney World is. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, that's whenever Disney was installed there as the right. owner. Right. But it was really owned Absolutely. by the CIA. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and it, I think that's an important to, point to bring up, but I'm going to like skip back over for the viewers or whatever. Yeah, just like kind of mirrors the yeah. kids. Yeah. 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 Well, which Vero Beach all of a sudden had a Disney timeshare and resort now established right across from my parents' island. Um, and so that's an interesting thing out of all of Florida and Vero Beach. Um, mm -hmm. But what I was saying about that is that they would actually have the landscaping trucks um, go into John's Island, which is the private, you know, gated community and all of that on the water. And when the wealthy snowbirds would go up to, you know, up north for the for the winter, or I mean, for the summer, excuse me, um, then they would have boats come in. Uh, where the cocaine would be delivered into Indian River County. They would be put on landscaping trucks and they'd be taken out through those trucks so that it wouldn't be, uh, you know, noticed. We also, like I've said here, have Zachary uh, the, with the Jordan, Zachary Rose, excuse me, uh, who was arrested and went to prison uh, with the George brothers who were um, doing the American pain pill clinic. So, American pain. I believe there's a book or a movie or something that's been made since, but they were having all of the pain clinics down here in Florida and people were coming from out of state and getting whatever pills they needed and wanted, you know, especially talking about the fentanyl issues that we have now, but it reverts back to that. And that is Indian River County with John Walsh um, and, and how that kind of correlates moving up from South Florida, right? So we're showing a history and a timeline, mm -hmm. I guess, to bring it full circle. And before I be quiet again, but, uh, you know, to show this down, down in South Florida, you know, being present and with cocaine and all of that, and then, you know, moving up and how it, it actually operates within Florida as well. Yeah. And Lindsay, you before know, you go on real, okay. real quick, I just want to, I want to put a little bow on the Everglades thing because yeah. you were bringing up how the state owns the land, right? So I'm assuming it's a no trespassing zone, correct? Being that it's state owned. Is that correct? Wait, Does anybody know my that? local area, or are you asking Lindsay a different area? Well, in general, I, I mean, know. would if if because I know here in my state, if it's state owned, it's usually not you can't go on there. It's state owned; you cannot trespass. Like federalized property. Yeah, I think it yes. depends on if it's like a park, like a public park, it has to be like have a sign or like some type of um, issued, you know, something that states that it's public for okay. public use. Well, I guess I was just saying that because if it is, if that's true, what what better place, like you were saying, dumping bodies and letting the alligators take them, and no one can go on the land anyway. Now, I don't know if that's yeah. true in Florida. It is where I live, but you know, and that's also, something maybe to think about. No, it is. Yeah, federalized means essentially like privatized for the government yeah. is what it's. I've also noticed that like, you know, like if it is a state land and say like you want to, you have suspicions that something's there, then... Um, you can't go there and dig like you have to have permission like you know for to do that like uh, it, otherwise if it was like like a somebody's uh, like private land and you knew the person and you could ask them you know well it reminds me of like the the bundies and you know the the finicum case and everything where they took over the federal land and they were fighting over saying like basically we have rights to federal land you can't just take it from us i mean there's and the thing about the land the thing about the land is that's what these loans were mm -hmm. it was like literally they were doing it by like selling land they were land deals is what they called them 
Well, okay, so that's what got me, what I was talking about with the divorce thing a second ago. We got on another tangent because, guys, sorry, there's just so much information. There's so many, you know, angles to this, and and we apologize. So thank you for having grace and following us through it. But, you know, that goes back to the original clip, and what started me on the divorce proceedings was also the deeds. So that's that's a big thing that we're looking at is the deeds and land allotments and, um, you know, going going into that avenue of things, as well as how they're currently bribing, say, judges and different officials within CPS. I mean, that's I, I will always bring it back to that, guys. But that's how they're doing it through mortgages and through the yep. MERS, uh, the MERS or the MERS system. Uh, where they're committing, you know, mortgage fraud and and they're bribing where you'll see, and we found it with my judge, Robert Meadows and questionable things. I'm just saying questionable things for legal purposes um, about, you know, house developments or purchases of houses. And then you see, you know, during your case, uh, shortly thereafter, during it, you'll see a mortgage satisfaction. Suddenly their mortgage is... Uh, you know, paid for. That's the same thing that my cousin did. You know, she was on my side. She was speaking up. She was going to, she could actually solve all of this. My cousin, Adrian Drew Perry, um, was in a huge shooting in Buffalo, New York, uh, when I was young Mm -hmm. and she was originally, uh, put in a home, a girl's home, but with my, by my mom and my mom's brother, her father, and she grew up in that very troubled life and met a guy, a Jamaican guy on the street that was like, you know, 20 something years older than her in his thirties. And she's like 14 and she's allowed to move down to Miami. They start selling drugs and, and trafficking Coke and marijuana. I mean, my family has a history of this and specifically my mom's side. And, um, and then she was in a horrible shooting in Buffalo, New York that people can Google easily. Um, and, and it was over, you know, cocaine sales and a, a deal gone bad or, you know, saying cell phone stuff and all this, but granted the point is, is that she had felonies for cocaine. Um, you know, my brother's best friend was selling cocaine and all of that kind of stuff, but looking at how the bribery happens through land deals, through mortgages, through MERS, through court cases that have early resolves is my point. That's how they had the big, that's how they had the money too. They had the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So before we get off on that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the next thing. Um, so as we we say who the governor is of um, Florida at the time, and the senator at the time was, um, I didn't send this to you, Gino, but uh, I didn't want to miss it. Uh, Lawton Childs, or no, no, she pronounced it for me. I think I was pronouncing it wrong. Megan, is it Childs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did say it right? Okay, I said it right. Yeah. Um, so he was um, senator at the time of Bob Graham's governor. Oh, I did send it to you. Yay. I don't think I did. Okay, good. <laughs> so as you can see, he was um, the senator from 71 to 89 um, under Bob Graham. And uh, he ran against Jeb Bush for the second term. Oh, no, for the first term, he, he, he prevailed over, uh, over Jeb Bush. And then the second term, um, he actually, uh, decided not to rerun because, uh, 
he had a something going on health wise, heart something with his heart. But he was running. He was running for it at first, and Jeb Bush all of a sudden came in. This was in 1991, I think. Oh, I apologize. Uh, so he did. He did serve two two terms as senator. So then he ran at when he ran as governor. That's whenever Bush defeated him. Jeb Bush defeated him, and then he, you know, had some heart issues and all that, which kind of makes me question things, but. Anyways, um, so he actually, during his term, reformed education in Florida, if that can tell you anything. Um, hand in hand. Yeah. And then, um, I thought this was interesting. I don't know. It doesn't really go to the case, but just so y'all, just an interesting fact. Maybe someone can search. Um, his, he was the last Democrat to be elected ever of Florida. So, hmm. there's that. That is interesting. Hmm. There's that. Um, but I wanted to, this is an interesting fact, and it goes to, it ties into children and to um, to Jeb Bush. So, when she, when Childs ran for re-election in 1994 against Jeb Bush, during this campaign season, Bush ran a television show, or a television advertisement, which featured the mother of a teenage girl who had been abducted and murdered many years before. The mother stated that her killer is still on death row and we're still waiting for justice. We won't get it from Lawton Childs because he's too liberal on crime. Lawton Childs has let us down. I know Jeb Bush. He'll make criminals serve their sentences and enforce the death penalty. Lawton Childs won't. Referring to Childs not signing the convicted killer's death warrant. Charles responded that he did not sign a death warrant because the case was still on appeal. The Democratic governor further claimed a record of support for the death penalty, having preceded over 18 executions during his two terms, among them Judy Bueno, the first Floridian woman executed since 1848. Moreover, after the, the blotched um, electrocution of Pedro Medina in 1987, another Cuban-like word yeah. Was, yeah um despite significant public criticism Charles refused to endorse the use of lethal injection as lawful form of execution the new method was introduced under bush's administration in 1999 after the ex execution of alan lee davis so you run an advertisement for your campaign by using this poor mother who is a who has lost their child to a murderer as your campaign run? Who does that? No scruples. Well, and actually, you know, again, this isn't legal advice, but, you know, when you had sent that over to me, my jaw dropped, Lindsay, because, you know, again, we, we're seeing this, and I'm not on either side of the political party, especially when it comes to children, either, right? And yeah. when we see this, my first instinct, obviously, was, you know, from a legal standpoint, which I am no lawyer, my father's very upset about that my whole life, but he, um, you know, from a legal standpoint, he, he did the right thing. If, if a case is on appeal, yeah, Charles he did. judgment yeah. to execute someone, it, that's called due process, which obviously we've seen go null and void, I can speak firsthand, in America to date. But, 
that is due process. And if a case is still under appeal, of course, you're not going to sign a death warrant. So you're taking, like you said, advantage of this situation, this mother's grief, which we're seeing as a theme uh, going throughout this and one John Walsh knows very well. Um, Mm -hmm. And you are exploiting, I mean, what national cyber missing exploited, right? So you're exploiting this issue before your campaign runs, so you're politicizing it, right? Which is absolutely disgusting. And we're in a yeah. climate now where child trafficking and children's issues is highly politicized. And I mm-hmm. think it's a travesty on both parties part. Uh, this is a humanitarian issue and crisis at this point, especially domestically. Um, but you're taking this and you're exploiting the situation and your argument is null and void to begin with. Like that, that has nothing to do with it. And then your own, you know, we've got Bush in Texas, which we always have to, we have to point out that Florida and Texas always correlate. My father worked between both, uh, very, very much so, um, as well as with the Bushes, I mean, document, well-documented in the Rose Garden and every other place, but, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, these banks, these, I just want to say this, these yeah. banks in Texas are linked to the banks in Florida and the Bahamas. And so Jeb Bush was born in Texas, from Texas, lived there his whole life, right? He just decides randomly, oh, well, I want to start a whole new life, and I'm just going to move to Miami, Florida, and just start my life. With, that's where we're going to live, you know, been there ever since. So you just randomly picked that place? I mean, it could well, be. Well, no, it was, it was real estate. It was getting real estate. With all that stuff that his dad <laughs> right, was doing you know. This is all real estate. Bahamas, John Walsh, Paradise Island, Jeb Bush, Florida. It's all, you know, Epstein, Nevada, Palm Beach, New York. It's all just real estate, right? You said, Megan, you did say it was well documented that mom and dad were uh, friends with the Bushes. Here's a picture of him, your dad receiving an award. Yeah, Gina, I want you to pull up anything that we're talking about as as the videos I sent, or the um, pictures I sent you, uh, if you would. We've got son and and father. So and and that's where I was going a second ago um, was just to point out the fact that we have Bush in Texas, who is known when we're talking about this death penalty issue. And this is let's put back up that picture for a minute. The one is that we have Bush also known to not pardon anybody. Uh, and in in the state of Texas, and then just days or whatever, right prior to Henry Lee Lucas's, the you know nation's most notorious serial killer, most brutal serial confession killer. Uh, again, those ugly faces uh, to close cases and be in the media and stranger danger push. Uh, you know, he pardons Henry Lee Lucas. Bush pardons him. Uh, right before his execution. And then my father goes to the Rose Garden years later and signs bills and shakes hands and receives wards. So I I don't know. I, yeah. Again, call me crazy because that seems to be a theme, but no, I'm just kidding. But I don't well, think and, I could go do that with, with somebody that did that. Well, and you'll see how all of these political figures and presidents are uh, – highly connected with the diplomat hotel and whom was john walsh the manager of it of the diplomat hotel we're about to go into that so what so i think that's pretty much um 
Oh, I have. I was just kind of giving, like, kind of like letting the audience put themselves in that time zone, just like I did. They can kind of see these things happening, and um, as we go into that, the same time of how everything is connected with John Walsh at, through the Diplomat Hotel. So that's what we're going to go to ne to next. Are you gonna? You want me to stop sharing so you can do your PowerPoint? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. And if anybody could, real quick, if anybody could find that that advertisement from Bush of that um, of that um, with, campaign. With yeah. No, no, no. It's the one of the campaign about the with the murder with the with the mom. Oh. And speaking gotcha. for him for his campaign. That'd be good. Up. That'd be something good to have. Yeah, if you're ready, go ahead and share anytime. You got it, Lens. There you go. Sorry, I had it muted because Mr. Little thing over here, he's my night owl. He's just <laughs> one okay. of the juice. Here you go. All right. Perfect. All right. Yeah, if you can so, zoom in again, just make it full screen so everybody can see it. Yep. We'll, we'll be good. There we go. Everybody see that? Perfect. So um, I found this autobiography um, by Roger Lane, who was the, um, uh, not the manager, but the, um, tell me what's the, Gino, the uh, corporate manager. Of the hotel? Yeah, yeah. he was the corporate manager and owner. And so this is his biography and I just took it apart and like kind of like made it my own like timeline wise to explain. Does that make sense? So, um, so let's see. Oh, sorry. Is there any way I'm going to take, can y'all see the whole thing, right? Yeah. I'll we like, can see the whole okay, thing. Okay. Good. Okay. So, um, he was the president of, this hotel like all these different things if you want to just kind of read through um cpa firm howard and howard um there are a bunch of firms that he was involved in and then also we have here i'll just read this for you they had resident controllers at the eden rock hotel they were also in, owned and in, owned and very involved in several different hotels in florida um so they had resident controllers at the eden rock hotel in Miami Beach, um, Barry Berenson in this photo, above with Roger, the Everglades Hotel in Miami, and the Pier 66 Hotel in uh, Fort Lauderdale. So in 1958, when I fell, uh, when I again felt it was time to seek a new and larger hotel with the hopes of increasing his income, he leaked this into his CPAs. So there's the Everglades again, as you can see. I guess it won't let me use my cursor. Oop. There we go. 
So he was summoned down to Miami, pretty much, and that's how he ended up there. Um, so he was from the controller at the Pier 66 Hotel. He went to the Diplomat Resort in Hollywood. Um, so the actual owner of all these hotels was Sam Friedland. Um, if you know who Sam Friedland is, um, you'll see in a minute, but he was the creator of uh, the first food market store. And that first food market store was actually opened in Florida. Um, and he also, they also had the Diplomat Country Club, which was in Hallandale. Halland and uh, as we know, John Monahan lived in Hallandale. This is where John Walsh's boss, he was John Walsh's first boss. He actually lived with him in Hallandale. Um, yeah. So this is just kind of going through like the history um, he had, they had over a thousand local city ledger accounts. Um, this hotel term for charge, this is a hotel term for charge cards from the days of the American Express. Um, he, uh, this Roger Lane, he actually invented the first uh, cash register and opened and actually used the first cash register in Florida, which so is kind Florida of ironic. Florida um, SNL. Yeah, go ahead. What, what was that? I was saying, so correlating SNL that we saw in the, the previous clips in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so they had night auditors to be hired, and he hired all of his night auditors, hotel staff. Uh, let's see. So I don't know if, if this guy is related to anything to do with Fox, but as we know... Um, there's the Fox name again, George Fox. He was uh, shaking hands right here with Roger. George Fox was the first general manager uh, to come to them from the Eden Rock Hotel in Miami Beach. Before that, he was the manager of the Drake Hotel in Chicago. So um, this is kind of where uh, John Walsh would be friends with someone to tell him about Florida. That's where we're going to. And Chicago, too, I want to point uh -huh. out. Very significant for trafficking, especially industry trafficking. Mm -hmm. And mob. So, Through certain people that I might know. Oh, you'll see the mob in a minute. It's bad, mm -hmm. really bad. Um, so this talks about the, that manager. They actually went through several managers, and he, he explains this, too, in this um, furthermore. Um, they went through. A, they got a new manager every two years for some odd reason. I don't know who yeah. they do, but it's just weird to me. He didn't really explain why. Um, so in this hotel business, has quite a track of record manager a track record of managers turning it over every year or two. George Fox was the first. Then it was Walter Jacobs one season, and then replaced by Gene Suits, who also came from the Eden Rock. George Fox um, actually took Mr. Suits' job back to the Eden Rock, and Mr. Suits stayed two years and moved to Doral County Club Resort. Um, here we have um, Irv Tillis, which was the director and the general manager in the operations to the controller. Mr. Tillis is a former New Yorker and journalist and has very experience in sales and has uh, very level-headed, was very level-headed as a manager. Um, and there you have New York. Um, let's see. So, um, 
I think I said, I think I told you they had a country club as well. There's the clubs come that come in. And yeah. um, so Mr. Freeland built another hotel room of 100 rooms across from the golf course of the Diplomat Parkway in Hollandale Beach Boulevard. That was named the Diplomat Golf and Racquet Club. And then, uh, oh, that's a picture of it right there. Yeah. And that was called the Diplomat West. Um, let's see. I was trying to see. So they, so they also have a, it's about to be the next one, I think. Oh, here's a good picture. Here's all the executives of the Diplomat. Um, and I ha I made John Monahan's bigger and red right there. Shh, go in there. I, I can't see. Oh yeah, the sale. He's uh one two. So I'm gonna. Three, can you four, see my cursor? Five. He's, he's right five. here. He's right here. Can you see my cursor? He's yeah. Yeah, we can see it. There he is. Five from the left in the front row. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. There's, there's the there. boss of John Walsh. And they all have the same hair. You see that? <laughs> see that, Maggie? Yeah. My, my brother Callahan has the he same. He does. The so same does, oh So does Hunter Biden. Yep. So does Anderson Cooper. Mm-hmm. It's weird. And so does Prince Harry. I mean, uh, William. Whoops. Sorry. When he had hair. So, as we're talking about John Monahan, he was John Walsh's first boss and his BFF. So, yeah, I have a couple. Um, his mentor, his father figure. Yes. So um, when we're talking about the land deals, so here is some articles where, um, oh, I did put it in there. Look, so when I was telling you all about that little piece other, earlier, professional salesmen, I need three salesmen who want to make money. Call yep. John Monahan, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., Friday and Saturday, 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. So as you can see, um, he's all about the money. And then I'm just going to read this one real quick about the uh, 2,240 uh, acre plan. He was involved in a lot of land deals, FYI. Um, uh, River Ranch, especially in Florida, River Ranch. That, yeah, I think uh, Gino, Gino has that one up. Gino, we'll pull that one back up in a minute. Um, so okay. the Frank um, Magnuson Company is uh, was offering... This land, $10 million sale in Palm well, Shores. Just real quick, just like John Walsh did the Fort Drum property with his buddies in Indian River County. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Called the ranch. Yeah. So the Miami, okay, there we go. Okay. So the Miami real estate company, I forgot to reiterate, uh, Jeb Bush was also had his own real estate company and he also was a realtor. Yeah. Um, so the Miami real estate company has engaged several realtors to sell this land and um, that was undeveloped for 25 years. Um, Magnuson spokesperson John Monahan said, we made a tough decision to sell the property, but we need the money to help along with other projects in the works. Um, so the reason Palm Shores was incorporated was because Mac Magnuson, am I saying that right? Planned to build a city there. Pruitt said, but then the economy went to pot and the money wasn't there. 
Oh my God, that's what they said about the ranch development. My dad literally and his buddies bought Fort Drum out by the turnpike where they said Adam's head was found. It's a wildlife preserve you can look up by Yeehaw Junction. And he said, oh, the economy dropped. So we had to fold the, the plans of our own. And what it was was the plans of a community, like a very Masonic type community like Windsor and things we have in Vero Beach already right down the street from the Disney uh, time sharing development. And it's by Galen Weston connected to the Queen where uh, Charles and Harry and, and William used to come play polo. And it's a Masonic community, basically, where they have their own post office, their own general store, all of that. My dad and his his uh, good old boys in Florida, uh, in Vero Beach and in Indian River County, went in Ray Smith, uh, Kale, uh, all these different names of big ranchers uh, went in and bought this 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 acreage of Fort Drum and they were going to develop it into the same thing with a general store, a post office and so on and so forth, call it the ranch. And they said that the uh, the economy hit and uh, the market went down. So they had to fold on the 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 project. Go ahead. Sorry, but um, not sorry. No, I'm glad you put that in there. Because my dad was literally taught by this man who we see in this picture, by the way. That's who you're viewing. We went over it on the last one. Go ahead, Lynn. Yep. Well, I had, you know, I'm trying to give him a visual here. So I had to bring in that yeah. picture with glasses, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So Monahan said that. The cleanup the- guy. He's got his, uh, go- he's got his cop glasses on too. And yep. With his little coat, I guess. Yeah. Like his ratchet it's coat. The drug trafficker Bahamian coat with the cop glasses and the cop, you know, chief of police. And the cabana, the cabana hair. Cabana hair, playboy. Which you'll see the cabana boys. You'll see, you'll see that in a minute. cocaine all over it. (laughs) We'll talk about the cabana boys in a minute. So Monaghan said that the cash flow problems involved with holding such a tract are impossible. The taxes eat you up. Uh, The Megasin planned city never came to pass, he noted, because the front end costs are too horrendous. 10 million asking price averages from... 4,460 per acre in a price Palm Shores Mayor William Morris called cheap. The Magnuson property is bounded roughly by the Brevard Flea Market on the U.S., one to the north by Melbourne City limits on the south and Wickham Road to the west. So, Which is north of Indian River County. Yeah. Yep. Um, so another article about the diplomat I wanted to read uh, just kind of shows you the atmosphere of of that and um, how the engagement is at the hotel. So the Diplomat Hotel played a ho- played a played host to a group of ca- of localities and press Friday night. The festivities began with an alfresco Italian su- supper at the Via Veneto restaurant in the Diplomat Golf and Racquet Club, followed by a party in the. I covered that one up. Um, where the interludes opened their engagement and where Gabrielle sang his songs. The party went on to the Great Years Lounge for nightcaps. You'll see each place uh, in the Diplomat in a minute. It, he just, where we'll describe like who all has been there and everything. Um, among the guests were Miss Arnold Winnick and Miss and Mr. Mon- John Monahan. The two couples had just had had just returned from a cruise uh, stay on Ocean Reef. 
Arnold Winnick of Hallandale is the leading Florida horse trainer again yeah. this year. Horses. Yeah. And um, as we know, Reve loved to ride horses. She was actually a fox hunter. Yes. So Florida horse trainer again this year. Blonde Miss Winnick was the most attractive in a colorful pantsuit. Black-haired Miss Monahan was striking in her white pant outfit. Who, Monahan. Wait, wait but by the way, Mrs. Monahan they're talking about here is who their son divulged to me, and I was told our entire life that she became an alcoholic and addicted to pills, the playbook, um, mm -hmm. and that she tripped on her nightgown and fell down the stairs and passed away when her their son John Monahan and Mrs. Monahan's son actually told me uh right before my children were taken how he was in the house that day with his nanny which we all have nannies very again finders cult uh community raised it takes a village have you know wean the children from the mothers and he was in the kitchen eating his eggs before church he heard a thump he looked over and saw his mother, you know, excuse me, trigger warning, but in a pool of blood at the bottom of the stairs. And he looked up and saw his father, which would be John Monahan right here, uh, standing at the top of the stairs. And uh, from there, I proceeded to ask, you know, what their lifestyle was, how the dynamics were, if his father had relations with the Hollywood police, which was absolutely confirmed, like, yeah, of course he did. There was a barter system uh, with the hotel and with the Hollywood Police Department, which we know was located right across from the Sears department store where Adam disappeared from. Uh, and that his father had, you know, close ties in a barter system relationship with that department, um, especially through the hotel business and what was going on at the Diplomat Hotel, which we think of human trafficking, drugs, uh, prostitution, all the stuff we talk about all the time. Go ahead, sorry. So let's see. Oh, Miss Monahan was striking in her white pants outfit. And um, they were known, they were known for this. This couple was known in the Hollywood area. It was a very Hollywood lifestyle and they were very yeah. known. Just Monahan like Ray Walsh, you know, in her gym and had to let everyone know that her husband was a hotel guy and, and really emulated this as well. So my parents are basically, you know, groomed and, and copying this lifestyle, living with these people, all of that. Go ahead. Um, so, and we'll learn about that in just a second of how he, uh, Oh, great. Sorry yeah. about that, Ben. Sorry. No, no, no. We'll learn about how, um, how, uh, John, he, he, he loved John because he was perfect for the business. So, um, anyways, Monahan of Hollywood just recently assumed the presidency of the Marco Polo Hotel, which is now a part of the diplomat complex. John was the vice president of the Diners Club and senior vice president of the Diners Bugazi Travel. Travel. Uh, repeat that. John was vice president of the Diners Club and senior vice president of the Diners Bugazi Travel. So there's traveling. Uh, I have a I have been exposed to the hotel business since I was two years old. Monahan says it's a part of me and I love it. Said Monahan at the party. So uh, 
as it just kind of reiterates what Megan just said about, oh, they're like the life of the party in town. Um, so um, here's like a little clip from Adam's disappearance um, that I wanted to read that I'd never seen before I recently came upon, uh, which is there's several different articles that are all different. They look the same, um, but they actually have little bits and pieces that are added in that others don't. And I just wanted to read this one because it does tell some things about Lonnie I hadn't read before. So I wanted to, sh to share with y'all. Yeah. Um, upon learning of Walsh's marriage plans, and he's talking about the marriage of John and Reve, yeah. Monaghan gave, gave the couple a free honeymoon trip to Europe. Walsh and the former Reve uh, Drew took that trip the following year. It was first class, they recalled. My screen thing, it says share screening. It's like covering up the X. Which that isn't true, by the way. Go ahead. He paid for it, and then they got stuck in Europe. I'm going to read it from here, if y'all don't mind. Can y'all still see it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, trip to Europe. Walsh and the former Reve Drew took that trip the following year. It was first class, they recalled, but Monaghan was more than just grateful. He was impressed. John was a very bright and capable young man, he said. A real all-American. I wanted him in the business. Over the next two years, Walsh worked under Monaghan, learning the ins and outs of the hotel marketing. In the fall of 1974, Adam Walsh uttered, the, uttered his first cries in a delivery room at the Miami Hospital. It was a happy event for the parents, and they began dreaming dreams for their new son. Walsh, meanwhile, under the direction and encouragements of Monaghan, a Hallandale resident, began to move upward in the line of work. He landed a job as the executive director for a Bohemian promotion board, an agency that reportedly represented 40 hotels. Walsh ran the agency for two years, and in 1977, he opened his own hotel marketing firm with a partner, then at the urging of Monaghan, sold his, in his interest and joined his present employer, Hotel Management Associates Limited, a Houston-based firm. Houston. So there we that that would tie into Texas and the dealings and all that, you know. It meant our, first, more... our first dog's name was Houston because my dad was always working there. Yeah. Yeah. It meant more money and less travel for John, Monaghan said. He hated being away from Revee and little Adam. Walsh warmed to his new job in and in 1979 was able to purchase his modest home on a quiet street where adam would be safe from from excessive automobile traffic what well i just he was just describing this little house and i don't know if anybody i guess probably should, maybe i should put it in there but you can look it up um if you'd like uh it's the t the house is very tiny and like it literally just looks like a you know modern like middle class home you know and there was a school across the street. Uh, I'm not sure, too sure if that school was there then. Do you know, Megan? But if a school's there, it's not very quiet and it's not very non traffic yeah, the, the neighborhood was known to have, you know, kids, they all knew each other. The kids were always out playing. It was a, a main neighborhood, but also we have to understand and look at things in terms of like grooming and, and stuff like that. So when you are, 
essentially, you know, you're given everything you could want to a certain extent, um, but you're still held down. So you're grateful. And then you, once you have everything, then you're put in a position of, some, you know, theoretically, and also what has played out in my life, you know, they give you everything, the industry, uh, these families, these kind of people, whatever the variable is, they, you know, give you a glimpse of your dreams, they find out what you want and everything. And my parents were, you know, I mean, that was good. I, I grew up with my mom always saying, actually, that she wanted the small house and all of that, which we know why now. But um, yeah, I think this is interesting because they were given their own little independence moving from Monaghan's home uh, while my father's moving up in the hotel industry. Um, and then we see the disappearance of Adam and what yeah, it just after. Yeah, it's funny okay. how, like, he was already very successful and, you know, yeah. was yeah. the executive director of the Bohemian Promotion Board that he sold before he went missing. So, yeah, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And, um, so. What's your handle? Oh, God. I'll just pull this one little um, other piece uh, from one of those articles about the about the about Adam missing um, so of the dealings with the Bohemian casinos and mafia connections and narcotics smuggling um, one tale had Walsh refusing to be a drug carrier with Adam's abduction and retaliation we checked all of them out Lieutenant Hines said police questioned the Walsh's extensively and interviewed friends and business associates they checked state and federal crime files. They talked to businessmen in the Bahamas. So, I mean, that's kind of crazy to me that you would go all the way to the Bahamas to talk to the businessman. I mean, Megan, do you do you know if he like spent time in the Bahamas while he had that business or? Yeah, I mean, he would he would be going back and forth to the Bahamas. That's why it says you know he hated leaving. Reve and little Adam, but he would go back and forth to the Bahamas all the time and Eleuthera and be down there. Um, so, yeah. And this was the, at the same time they found uh, Adam's head, supposedly. So, um, it just, that's the, like, and, and so if we can look from like the, the disappearance date of July 27th, and then they found his head was August 11th, I think. Two weeks. That was, yeah. So, so in two weeks, you did all this, you checked all these people out. There's no way. In two weeks, you did that. We know how, how long law enforcement takes on things. You know, it just doesn't make any sense that you talk to every, like you talk to all these people. All the business. Well, and, and the, whole thing, the whole thing, though, I mean, from the beginning, and I'm sure you're, you know, I mean, from what you've pulled over the last two weeks, it's been in there. But, you know, from the beginning, when Adam went missing and still locally, the local rumors to date, I mean, again, mm -hmm. this case has been controversial since the day it happened. And people need to understand that it hasn't been what the media present this open and shut case or this long enduring case. It's been very controversial. It's had a lot of craziness added into it and here and there when these are the fundamental aspects of it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, there are police connections. There's there, yeah. it, my point here is that they were they were heavily questioned about you know, my father, we have clips of him saying and, and, and being quoted and saying, like, I don't have anything to do. This has nothing to do with 
drug trafficking or cartels yeah. or anything when that is the rumor from this date that or from mm-hmm. the day it happened that it was related to this so the yeah. dealings of my father who you know no matter what happens it has to do with the fact of who was my father connected to what was he up in when Adam okay. it's like what was their lifestyle in the home with this lover and the drug use and the people in and out and and you know everyone raising Adam and you know things like that well I just wanted to bring that up just because like you know of all these connections that we know of um with the mafia and everything as you'll see um in a few minutes um you know there's just no way like and um and they continuously deny denying it over and over that just goes to show you but um anyways the conclusion yeah, according to so the yeah. yeah the conclusion according to the lieutenant this is a family with no skeletons in the closet because there has no been been no hard evidence that Adam has been taken to another state, no ransom demand, and the yeah. Why would you put that in there? Like the FBI did not enter the case. So as we know, we have the clip of John Walsh saying that the FBI is is the only one that's in fully endorsed uh, America's Most Wanted. Yep. But the FBI did not want to enter the case. It's kind of weird. And no. neither did the Broward or Dade County Sheriff's offices. They were not asked. It was hmm. handled. Adam's case was handled by Indian River County Sheriff's. And that's a big thing that we'll be going into in the future is looking at the lineup and history of the Indian River County Sheriff's, which to date has now, you know, Eric Flowers, who John Walsh and the previous sheriff, Daryl Lore, has installed. So I think a big uh, a big notion here tonight would also be this installed notion. Was John Walsh yep. installed? Was the sheriff doing this now installed? Is Callahan yep. Walsh installed? You know, what mm-hmm. is being installed? Um, exactly. What does that mean? And we're seeing yep. that congruently. Yeah. Sightings of, sightings of Adam were reported throughout Florida. Callers also placed him in Alaska, Canada, and on a ranch in Texas. And there's Texas again, again. Not on a ranch in Texas. Yeah. And who had a ranch in Texas? The George Bush family. They grew up on a ranch in Texas. I just thought that was crazy. There was a sighting of him there. It's totally crazy. The police checked the ones that they could. So. Um, So there's that. And then uh, I can't see this one, but you can kind of see this is one of those court order things. It was about land uh, with Monaghan. This is what it kind of looks like. You can see a little. Hold on, actually. I'm going to put it in here real quick. Hey, Lindsay, sorry to interrupt, but I just want to, for anybody that was watching on Foxhole, I've been trying to fix this for about 15 minutes but it looks like half of foxhole is down the platform oh. and the other half is actually working but rumble's working fine so it's not the internet here it's nothing on our end it's just something going on with with foxhole so um i did put the link over in the foxhole chat because that is working um but anyway it's working fine here on rumble okay sorry Lynch. Okay. Yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. 
Perfect. Now we have... Why did I do that? Well, anyways, you can see it, uh, the court order. This, and it would be like the summons. They have to come, you know. And it was about another hotel, which was called, which was on Dixie Court. So, um, here's another one about the cruise, I mean, the casinos. And as we know, the diplomat had its own casino. Um, oh, what happened? Okay, never mind. I was right. Oh, I want to give a shout out to Shannon. We love you. Hey, girl. <laughs> um, so, uh, after the first five years, Mr. and Mrs. Cohen invited all the employees uh, and their guests, which just so you know, uh, Cohen is was the um, manager at the time. Uh, and it just it's explaining how they had all these extravagant receptions. They had banquets. They had conventions here. Um, very extravagant and glamorous ones. Uh, and after five years of uh, being employed there, they received the gold diplomat pin. Um, shows them all dressed in their ties and everything here. In the white dresses, um, and then it shows you in 1963 where they installed the first cash register. And as you, and just so you can reiterate, Friedman was the actual owner of all these hotels and many more. Uh, we'll see in just a second, and he was also the um, first food market uh, man to open a food market. And uh, it just kind of is kind of weird how like they had the first cash register, the man that was one of the managers at the diplomat. SNL. Yep. Cash. Um. Pride, pride and joy department. We have we have we have any seasons. I don't know why it's, we have any season's greatest stars. Okay, this is where it goes into celebrities and the um, high officials that were that frequented the diplomat. Um, the celebrity dining room, um, the two golf courses, Rogers Lane's computer, his controller, and operations manager. The, he, his money office's new electronic date processing unit. Um, just so you were to go over that recovery. Uh, this is one of the ones Mickey Rod, Rod Rooney. Yeah. yeah. And we have Danny Thomas at the golf uh, convention. Um, it was the, let's see. It was the first Danny Thomas golf opening at the Presidential Country Club. Another large banquet uh, planned for many guests that was held. Here is the Diplomat Country Club in Hollandale, Hollywood, um, along with the golf course and the country and the Presidential Country Club in North Day County. Um, they had three other hotels: the Shelburne Hotel, the Monte Carlo Hotel, and the Marco Polo Resort. And as we just read, um, John Monahan was the um, head manager over the Marco Polo Resort. All were on Miami Beach. Miami Beach, we can relate. To, you, you can see the correlation there. So and the Shelburne, the Marco Polo Resort will be significant in the future. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Um, so 
this is a very interesting um, story of Julio Fernandez. Um, and I think it talks about it, another story after this. But anyway, so, so the Shelburne Hotel was involved in an interesting embezzlement by their sales manager, Julio Fernandez. These were the days of the package tours, about seven-day vacations handled via travel agents who also booked air flights. So um, the Shelburne, with its location two blocks from Lincoln Road, the main Miami Beach shopping strip, was ideal for South American tourists. The Shelburne almost totally catered to these guests, except during the winter season. <laughs> And I just found some clips um, here for the Shelburne Hotel. And um, as you can see, it says volunteer political campaign workers wanted. So I wanted to just to let y'all know that a lot of these people, um, what they did was during these, these high-end officials that when they were campaigning, you had all these donated funds from these other organizations that would donate towards their campaigns and that would vouch for why the, you know why and how they would cover for each other because they would donate for their campaign. They, you know, it's all about the money. Um, and I just clipped a little, a couple of things that were going on at that time uh, at the Shelburne Hotel at, that were lots of shady things um we have this one where it was dealing with cash and jewelry and this one says valued at 1380 dollars were taken from a room at the shelburne hotel saturday and the police said there was no sign of forced entry and into the room occupied by a person by the name of akir madrid of jackson heights new york and there's new york again um then you have the clothing that was um Valued at $800 was also taken from a room at the Shelburne Hotel that Saturday evening. Norquero or Norquera Florento, 44, of Santa Maria, California. I just thought that was kind of strange, but yeah, uh, no force of entry. Um, but getting selling people's goods. Yeah. So it was this really a selling goods, or was it selling something else? Mm -hmm. Because, like we know, as we know, they 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 put in they install different stories to cover themselves. Um, so, this one is another article of wanting a tour and travel assistant. At needs you, needs you. What? The Shelbourne needs you. It says yeah. Point. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. The world famous Shelbourne Hotel needs you. Must be fluent in English and Spanish. Um, as we know, Jeb Bush, um, his wife is, is from Colombia, spoke very frequently in Spanish as well. Um, my, my father growing up made us be all in Spanish and do all that. And he used to always say like decades ago, he said how soon America or in the future America will be all Hispanic and you're going to have to learn Spanish and know it. Um, also, I want to say something real quick while I'm, while I'm interrupting uh is that florida is a very like we saw in the previous slide uh you know except for the winter months right so it's a very seasonal state where they also bring in a lot of um and specifically eastern europeans to date or over the past decade or so uh come into florida um and other foreigners 
to actually be the service uh, work within country clubs and hotels and all of that for this for the quote unquote season. Lindsay, I think you're muted. There we are. Sorry. Um, this thing's not clicking. There we go. So, but so, um, I just thought this little piece was really crazy. Like, the world famous Shelburne Hotel needs you. Like, and then as you can see, I'm not sure. Um, but I told Megan that I thought this was salary, and it does say salary. I thought it was kind of weird. Like it says, um, type to be 50. I'm thinking WPM woman, or I'm not sure. Uh, like meeting the public, good appearance, telephone manage manners, and eager to learn. We will train. Salary $185 to $210 based on experience. Meals excellent benefits so it so i know back then i did see i looked at other uh different ads and things like that and some did say you know like 200 or 100 to 200 dollars a week pay and that type of thing but it would actually say week this one actually says salary and it doesn't say week so i'm not sure i'm not sure what y'all you guys think but to me salary plain salary salary is one hundred and eighty five thousand dollars a year to two hundred and ten. Yeah. It's either hundred per week or thousand per year. But I'm just saying, like the other one said a week. It would it actually said the word week. And so this kind of makes me question like, were they really paying some person that has no experience that they would train to be this? Like this is crazy. How would you get that much money to pay a random person to train them for this? Like this is wild to me. And we have um, plus meals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This one here. Maybe it was the time. Yeah. So this is kind of uh, where Julio Hernandez comes in. Um, and he was um convicted in, or they're trying to convict him of the insurance fraud and he was also an immigrant i'm not sure why i put that on this page sorry y'all maybe accidentally okay now oh this is why because i was going into julio fernandez okay so back to julio fernandez if you we're going to go back a couple slides so you can remember who he is we just said he was um, the sales manager at the Shelburne Hotel, who has an interesting embezzlement. And just so y'all know, like, this is related to the diplomat because they are all owned and they all, like, were in cahoots with each other. Um, like John Monahan, he was the manager of several different hotels um, within this corporation. Um, so Julio was a very ambitious salesperson. He um, could not talk to the manager into an advertising budget for these South American tours. He took it in his own hands. He started to pro make 
business by offering the seventh day for free. This meant that the travel agent booked a full week but only paid for the hotel for six nights. To Julio, it sounded good at the time. The hotel was not always full in the summer. His problem, though, was how to get the accounting department to write off the extra day. He did this by collusion with the auditor, and as it sometimes happens, the first auditor passed away, taking his knowledge of the setup with him. And the, he put this in quotations, which is kind of strange. A new auditor was assigned by me to post the who did not speak a, a word of Spanish. Hulu also did favors for everyone. Cuban cigars with the manager, a promotional trip to Lima, Peru with the manager, and a large group of Miami Cuban violinists sent on a fully paid trip to the capital of Peru and a free vacation air tickets for the new auditor. Who else did this for their manager co-worker at the diplomat? I put that in there, just so y'all know. And that was John Walsh because he paid for the honeymoon for Reveille and John. It's kind of like a system, right? Uh, just repetitism of every, you know, manager. At one point, because the sales were increasing at the alarming rate, but so were the accounts receivables due to an uh, over 100 travel agents, including many false names that Julio made up in South America. The manager sent Julio on a collection trip to go down and collect the money. Julio came back with an exchange or orders draft drafts drawn on South American banks signed by the alleged travel agent owners. There's where the bank fraud comes in. Uh, later, we found out that he had printed up forged documents and switched the country of the bank to a different country so the drafts would not clear. They all bounced. Now we knew there was something major wrong. The FBI and the Miami police, beach police, were called in. Spanish was the cover of his, this whole plot. All correspondence was Spanish, and Julio and his secretary, the only Spanish-speaking employees at the Shelburne, would falsify these translations. Oh, let me get that. How do you make that thing go down? Look. Ah! Sorry. Okay, there we go. One time, at one time, one of the owners of the travel agency who owned the hotel on the books $25,000, owed the hotel on the books $25,000, was visiting the Shelburne, who, who, oh, sorry, only to be asked by the manager, when are you going to send me the $25,000? Julio translated this as, when are you going to send me the $2,000? The owner of the travel agency responded in Spanish, Manana tomorrow. This pleased the manager. The story ends with a police chase from Miami in his red T-bird, Julio, arrested only to get out on a bond. Later, the FBI had, re had him rearrested. He was put on trial in a week-long court case by the federal government for transportation of forged documents in international commerce and ser served several years in jail. I was not involved as I had written extensive monthly reports on how sales were going up, but the money due, the, due, the hotel, due to the hotel was also too high. The manager lost his job only to be reassigned within our chain and eventually become VP at the Diplomat Hotel. 
It was an interesting to note that Julio did not personally benefit from this embezzlement, but only to promote the property. I had a very large box of all the details of this episode stored for many years as I thought it would make a great movie script. Unfortunately, someone without my knowledge sent that sent the box to the dump. That's convenient. Megan, you any thoughts? Megan? Megan, are Hello? you muted? We're having, yeah. Sorry. There you go. Oh, I thought I lost you guys. Oh my God. You no, I was just muted by accident. Sorry. Okay. Any thoughts on that one? I'm I'm going to be quiet now and we'll just keep going through that. Oh, yeah. I know this is new. I haven't showed you any of this yet. So. No, I think I think it's just more presented information. I know over on Rumble, Shannon, I was looking at the chat over there, so I was a little preoccupied. But, um, you know, Shannon had said predictive programming, and I think that that's a good notion to bring up uh, at this point in moving forward. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and here's Roger with his first computer. At that time, he was the treasurer of the diplomat. So you're the treasurer, but you have no idea about these money dealings. Yeah, with the first, you know, cash yeah. register and credit card and cash exchanges and all the shenanigans going on. Yep. Um, so one of the first guests ever to come uh, was Bill Forrest. I'm not really sure who Bill Forrest is on this one. Maybe y'all, maybe Gina knows. Uh, but there's uh, bigger ones. I do that not. Come. There's bigger ones that come. So the hotel had a great winter season under my supervision. I added $600,000 to that year to the bottom line. We took the lounge across the street and made it into a sing-along piano bar called The Great Years. Also, another entertainment room was the Tack Room for all, uh, at the Oceanside Hotel. He, the two years I managed the property were a real challenge. He worked once as an accountant, but always an accountant. That was kind of strange. They hired a new managing. They keep doing that. Hired a new managing director from Chicago and moved back to his old office as treasurer with no change in salary. The new manager lasted 18 months, but he was a guy, a nice guy. I got a bonus each year. There's a lot of changing of hands, a lot. And, yes. And exactly. repositioning. Yeah. Um. Let's see what did I put in here. Oh, I already went over that. Sorry. Which I'm going to say the obvious. Uh, if you're in the hotel business, which we know is like one of the top venues of human trafficking, uh, and you have diplomats and politicians and different things, and, and even musicians, Eliza Minnelli, the doors, all that would go through the diplomat hotel. I can't yeah, imagine. I can't imagine the number of, um, you know, situations is that the way to put it uh that would arise that would need to be oh, covered yeah. up or um yeah covered up right and so when you're seeing a, a swift change of hands that's what comes to mind for me is people they either couldn't handle it or you know they didn't want to participate or knew too much things like that mm -hmm. so here we have the diplomat hotel at night 
where John Mo or John Monet was the sales manager and uh we have John Walsh working at who was also a cabana boy first. Uh I didn't know if we have any new audiences in the house, but uh if, if you remember um John being a cabana boy um before he, he randomly meets John Monahan after saving his son from the drainage ditch. Um, anyways, I just know Gino, Gino, you were saying how we needed to reiterate certain things. So people, we have any new people in the house. Um, no, great, great job, Lindsay. Yeah. And there is some new people. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying they don't know that, but it is always good to reiterate some of the facts we've gone over in previous episodes, just so everybody's clear the connections. I mean, that's, that's what this show's about connecting things and trying to figure out what's really going on here is, is the narrative we've been, you know, they've driven down our throats for 40 plus years. Is that the truth or is there something hidden? And I think Lindsay, you're doing a great job tonight. Uh, Megan is always coloring the picture for us, you know, with the inside view. So thanks ladies. Yes, sir. Eugenia. Um, uh, in addition, I was responsible for risk management insurance programs of all hotels and the three high-rise apartment buildings the diplomat towers the presidential towers and the sea air towers owned by friedlands and irving cohen near the hotel on hollywood beach plus the diplomat mall and the crossroads shopping center in east petersburg sorry Um, okay. Then we have, this is just where I found the mall and the clippings. Uh, it was actually owned by Hassam Realty Corporation, who also owned that private road uh, along the rear of the Diplomat Hotel Shopping Center, leading from the Diplomat Parkway into, uh, 14th Avenue in Hallandale. Um, and then I thought it was kind of weird how like in here the, the road was closed for a period of 24 hours and no person would be allowed to use this private road unless he or she has permission from. Um, and that was uh, July 14th, 15th of 1979. So what was going on there? Yeah. Yeah, the back door is being used for what? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So this is like um, just to show an article piece from the newspaper, which we'll see in a minute of like big people that were uh, coming into the hotel. Gary Lewis, Patrick Wayne, David Cassidy, Dino Martin, Frank Sinatra Jr. and his sister, um, Michael Douglas, Heather McRae. Apparently, Heather McRae is one that like made her first appearance at the Diplomat Hotel before her career started. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know if you guys know, probably not. But Chase Bank was one of the savings and loans that they used at the Diplomat Mall for their um, 
deposits over $170 million. Oh. Okay. And the Chase Bank was renamed. Well, before, okay, so before it was named the Chase Bank, it used to be called Intercontinental. Um, I'm trying to find the exact name real quick. Um, sorry guys. I'm trying to look through my, my my scribble scrabble writing over here. I'm writing fast as I'm like getting things. Anyways, uh, this thing it was inter intercontinental. I I think I you've seen it in the first video. Um, I think it was intercontinental savings, honestly. But it was renamed the Chase Federal Bank. Federal Savings and Loan. Or the Chase, as you know it. If that tells you anything. So that would be how that this bank, the Chase Bank, interferes and connects to the Bushes. For their money laundering and their SNL loans. And the cartels. Um, and, that, that, and they literally had a bank through the Diplomat Mall over 170 million dollars there yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's where i made the connection okay. and uh kind of makes me wonder why they changed the name to chase so they wouldn't know hey lynn D lindsay do you know um you said 170 million dollars does is there like a time frame for that money like over how many years or or one year what's do you know that or no? It didn't. It, here's the article right here. You okay. see it on the right side. It didn't say all. Let me see. Okay. You don't. That's okay. I was just wondering if you know off the top of your head. Yeah. I could definitely look that one up though. It was during the time. Let's see. Maybe I'm trying to see if I wrote it down. <clears throat> Is someone outside? I feel I feel like I hear crickets. Anyways, I might find it in a minute. Oh. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's important to so you know, not only yes, we started with Bush and you know the family and everything, and we're tying that back around, but this is a bigger picture of you know, what was Paradise Island in connection to the Diplomat Hotel, you know, Paradise Island being known for CIA presence. I mean, there's a huge history that we, you know, haven't even oh, gotten. Oh, yeah, we're getting now. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, well, but huge uh, connections with Meyer Lansky, the CIA. Um, you know, I've got a couple of tweets of amazing other people that I want to, you know, take the time to say thank you to everyone on Twitter that's been really giving their input and a lot of research like Shannon and of course, Lindsay here and, and others. Um, but really, then actually I will give Shannon credit. She actually found this, uh, autobiography. Oh, that's awesome. I love it when we get more people in and this is what yeah. I thought and was going to happen from the beginning. Yeah. And I put it into this aspect of, and adding these things to it. It takes everyone guys. We need the people. So, all these yeah. great researchers. Shannon's really done a great job, but 
I want to stick to the point for a second is that, you know, we're correlating, you know, this history of Paradise Island, the Bahamas, in correlation with the Diplomat Hotel and what was going on at that time, what this, this vibe, if you will, and what this lifestyle was like, um, what was really going on in these venues, you know, between these hotels and South Florida, the islands, the lifestyle that's glamour and politics and Hollywood all wrapped into one with government entities present, you know, and government affiliations and families and all of that. So um, I think that's important. And here we have John Walsh, you know, before Adam was ever thought of being disappeared or, you know, even before he's born, um, you know, these affiliations are established and, and he's brought up through them. Right. I think is a, a big point to kind of bring together. Well, and also I want to just to um, reiterate that George Bush Sr. actually installed um, many Mexican presidents as right. well for, for a reason. Uh, and just to use the NAFTA, if anybody knows, remembers, remembers the NAFTA, to easily drug traffic these drugs across the borders with no detection through the Salinas brothers. Um, and uh, they did it through the administration of food. Uh, what did I put? Food. Oh, if, oh the Food and Drug Administration um, in the food trucks. And that was how they would get the, the drugs over here and the boat and on the boats uh, right. through Florida. They did in Texas. It was through the food trucks. And then in Florida, it was through the through the boats. Um, and. Um, so in this, and, 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 um, and I'm going to tell you, you just mentioned the CIA again. Uh, well, and Cessna, real quick, I want to say in Cessna planes too, which Monaghan was known to have um, emptied out the small Cessna planes. My dad was always obsessed with having his own Cessna airplane. And when I was growing up, there was a kid I went to high school with at the same private school with all these ex-drug guys that my dad was best friends with. Um, whose kids were now going to my school, one of them, the football star or whatever, because I was a cheerleader, uh, he and his father lived on the same island, Orchid Island, uh, on the back of the island. And he was no, it was like known and laughed about that he had a water plane, a plane that could land on the water and he'd bring in cocaine into the house and through mm -hmm. that, that island there. And I would literally in high school tell my father, you know, do you know this is going on and stuff? And he would always say, like, don't worry about it. Just like we see him saying about the other boss of his from the diplomat, um, Bill Collins, when the wife comes forward, the ex-wife comes forward saying he might be involved with the finders cult. He molested my son, all these other things. And John Walsh in 87 is approached and says, don't worry about Bill Collins. So it's these diplomat bosses too have a have a fun colored history. Go ahead. And my, and well, as you as you even see in this, you know, autobiography where he's talking about he was this and he was that and he was this and he was that, but you didn't do anything about certain things, like you know, he admits it. Right. right. And um, so I wanted just to like let y'all know that uh, another bank that they used in the Bahamas along with this bank was the Citibank, um, oh. and um this money laundering and drug dealings over this Mexican border was to increase CIA profits as well. 
and it was called the Golf Cartoon. Um, and the bank that they used in Texas was the Texas Commerce Bank in Houston. So, this was their, uh, let's see. So, the Bush family is was using the CIA as the front company for this drug cartel dealings. Um, and the he also uh, had the U.S. CIA train the Mexican son and officials um, in the special intelligent ops training to return. Um, and in return, that's how they got their dealings with these drug uh, trafficking and cartels across the U.S. southern borders in Texas and Florida. Um, so... Oh, wait, I forgot. I just lied earlier. It's not the intern. I just found it. It's not the inter intercontinental. That was just another bank they used. But the Chase, the Chase, it was it used to be called Chase Manhattan Bank before they called it to, before they called it the, the, just Chase. And then before that, it was called the Texas Commerce Bank. Just so y'all know. Oh. Yeah. And as we can see, um, this is where the drug cartel money was found, millions of it, in the Texas Commerce Bank in Houston. So, and the same bank is the same bank that here, after the name change, they're using at this uh, diplomat mall, which is holds a hundred and seventy million deposits. Okay, so here we have Mr. Sam Friesland, the first food um, uh, market owner and operator opening the first food markets um, in Florida, and along with Roger, the manager, and his wife. Um, and again, Sam Friesland was also the owner of all these hotels that are in, uh, in cahoots with each other. Um, so this is where it starts with the presidents, uh, all that visited here at the diplomat. Um, and then we'll go into, and then the celebrities as well. Marilyn remembers the great parties, the bar mitzvahs and weddings that we were invited to attend. Starting with Mr. Friedland's 60th birthday. We also attended Jackie Gleason's birthday party at the diplomat. President Nixon telephoned Jackie, which was piped through the banquet guest. Nixon. Yeah. Yeah, I think I have a picture of him. There they are. We have Nixon, we have Reagan, and we have, oh, Mr. Carter, which we'll see in a minute. Mr. Carter visits the, the diplomat as well. Um, this Roger gets around. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Another um, article from the city contends that Hassam Realty Corp, a firm owned by the diplomat mall de developer Sam Friedman and relatives, has plenty of adjacent land to expand parking. But the suit claims that the parking ordinance cannot force the diplomat mall, a separate sub subsidiary of Hassam, to lease more land for the parking. So there was an issue here um, uh, with the parking. I was about to pull up this article. Uh, with a tennis star who, um, hold up a minute. Oh, here's another one of all of them. All the presidents. We have Bush, we have Reagan, we have, um, uh, Jimmy Carter. Just so y'all can kind of correlate what, who they're all friends with, you know. 
Oh, I think the crickets you heard is the rain on my roof. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I think I had the tennis story in a little bit, uh, but that was just like a sequel to it. Um, because I think I put that one in there because it was about Friedland. Um, so we have Al Marino with Roger. Uh, Y'all familiar with Al Marino? Um, he was actually a ex-New York cop detective. Yeah. Also, before he um, before he became a singer and musician. Um, Stalled. So there's that. And at the diplomat, he was used as their chief of security. He would take Marilyn into the bars uh, to stay with her. Marilyn is Roger's wife, um, the manager or the managing director. Um, he would take Marilyn into one of the bars um, to stay with her while I performed his my duties. He was a ex New York City um, cop. Always, Al would always have an interesting story to pass on. Um, one of another man here is one of his good friends, Mike Morgan, a newspaper columnist for the Fort Lauderdale Sun, Sentinel. He wrote an item about my first computer for the newspaper. And there were a lot of articles about Adam in the Sun Centennial. Yes, there? it were. Mm -hmm. Yep. And this just goes to show you how media is so is in, still involved today as in was even involved then as a cover-up you know uses cover-ups to install stories and install things that this is why we have all these different stories and this is why we have all these different instances and this is why we have all these news articles that say different things and give different details yep. installed mm -hmm. the word of the night yep so here's when President Carter was visiting the Diplomat Hotel during his election campaign. Um, as I said before, a lot of these people get involved because they donate to these campaigns. And they, you know, in order to blackmail them or anything like that, they use that, you know, against them or to become friends with them or to cover up things, that type of thing. Uh, but that's how they, are, they get involved with these people is through these campaigns. Um, and that's how they become to know all these people as well. And also, I also want to point out real quick that in these circles, you don't even have to necessarily like verbally or outright um, threaten someone to blackmail someone. If, if someone knows that you have something on them, it literally doesn't even take a look. You know, it can be a look, but it can also just be a knowing, right? Like yep. this person knows this about me, so I'm not going to ever cross this person or I'm never going to out this person, that kind of a thing. It's unspoken. Like, like a known a known thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, like, oh, well, I'm not, you know, you could tell me your secrets. I'm not going to tell your secrets, you know, unless I need to. I know? caught this figure in a hotel room with a hooker doing coke and she might have overdosed and I'm not going to say anything now because, or he's not ever going to say anything on me because I found him like that. Yep. Here we have um, all the presents, as you can see, they're all connected, uh, all very smiley and happy and they love each other. Um, and you have Jimmy Carter here at the diplomat and he's best friends with Obama and Bush and actually both Bushes and Mr. Clinton. Um, so here another one that visits often is Walter Cronkite. He is actually another 
we're about to show you. They're at the club, literally. No, okay. <laughs> he is another so, American broadcast journalist who served as anchorman for the CBS Evening News for 19 years, from 1962 to 1981. Huh. And during <clears throat> his 1960s and 1970s, he was often cited as the most trusted man in America. Cover man. Go ahead, Gino. What, what were I, you saying? I, I don't know. I just, skull and bones comes to mind. I don't know why. Yeah. Slightly. Yeah. Just a little bit. Well, it's another club. As as, as this uh, autobiography mentions many times, it's all these different clubs that are involved with the diplomat. They have the country club. They have the golf club. They have the presidential blah, blah, blah yeah. club. You know? It's just different clubs. It's no different than any other club, like the American Legion, as we see in John Walsh's records of his history of his um, uh, ancestry and his brothers and his uncles. They're all in the American Legion clubs. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. Um, so John, Wal John Walsh quotes that he's a member with other parents of the Murdered Children's Club. I'll just add that. That's a quote. Well, and it makes you wonder, okay... Uh, it seems to me like maybe these the National Center is a club in itself. Oh, it, well, it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh. And that's how they communicate and they, you know, cover for each other through these all these organizations. They're, that's how they all know each other. They all are connected through these clubs. Yes, ma'am. So there's Walter. And uh, I just want to reiterate, he was the anchorman for CBS News, Evening News, for 19 years. Okay. And then in quotations, the most trusted man in America. What comes was, to mind? I'm I was just, just saying, what, say that. like, yeah. and when yeah. I read that, I was like, wow, it makes me think of John Wall. She thinks he's the most trusted man in America because he, you know, he can do anything, you know? He can find anyone. We're going to hunt them down. We're going to get them scumbags. Well, they're in charge of all the quote-unquote cover stories, right? Exactly. And then he... 11. Mm-hmm. And then he just... And then this guy frequents the hotel, like... So he can go in there and tell them anything. Like, they, that's how they do it. They just... They're visiting. They're partying and all that. So... And, and, and also, whenever I was researching the diplomat as well, there's so many presidential people and government officials and uh, media officials and all this and celebrities, like, are visiting here. Why? Yeah. Why? I, I, you know what I mean? It was yeah, the I don't... Hollywood of Florida. Go ahead, Gina. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, you know, I mean, prestige, obviously, that's what they're always about, like being at the right place, the hot spot, all that. But yeah, we yeah, know there's, more, that? We, we know there's that? more nefarious. Yeah, we know there's more nefarious things going on than just right. that. Right. Why that hotel out of all of the hotels? Exactly. Who's owning yeah, that hotel? Who's frequenting that hotel? Mm -hmm. What are they using that hotel as? What affiliations? You know, I mean, that that's deep. It is deep. It's really deep. And I'm telling you, I was on the floor for like a week. I was always on the floor because I was like, no, no, no. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. 
though this was another room they had the celebrity room um the well, world John and Rave Walsh would be easily compromised now wouldn't they yep especially with a live-in lover and and to focus it on that even if people do have faults and that was going on just saying yep and so the story of the diplomat continues with the world famous um diplomat hotel was a long time coming uh, there were many fires, the convention hall, the TV theater, and the big one in the warehouse, which was closed the property twice. This is really strange to me about this part. Uh, it's great so for many... insurance. Yep. Uh, first to clean it up and reopen to handle the March conventions, only to close again in June for, the, for four months of renovation. I had collected $20 million from the fire insurance, but Mr. Cohen spent an extra $5 million to redo the property. Mistakes were made in how to spend the money, and emphasis was on the social side of the resort, but they forgot to improve the facilities for the convention business. The South Florida hotel business started to decrease, and social guests had many more places around the world to vacation. The, the convention business was very competitive in Orlando, a new market with many hotels. And then we have John Walsh in the Bahamas doing the conventions. Uh, yep. Between, the, between South Florida and the Bahamas. Yep. Um, it didn't help that we were getting a new managing director every two years. Some only lasted a shorter period, one for only a week. All during this time, I worked with a second-in-command manager, Jay Rosen, general manager who was Mr. Cohen's favorite. Together, we co-signed all the checks and had arranged arra had arrangement that if either one of us were not comfortable with the payment, one would skip signing. Therefore, well, I got it. Therefore, obligating Mr. Cohen to sign. We always reminded him that unless one of us was on vacation, he had better look at any checks presented to him. The loans from the bank, which started with the extra $5 million. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah $5 million used to renovate after the big fire had now grown by... Huh. Uh, hold on. Let's see. Oh, by each year after the first five. Yeah, that's right. I put it in the little thingy. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cohen invited all employees with five years seniority to a gala holiday party. So you're having parties after your big choir. A banquet dinner followed with followed a reception. Marilyn attended them all with me. At the first one, we all received a five-year pin. At 10 years, another pin with a little red ruby. The last drop of blood, it was called. Wait, could you, could you uh, say that again, please, that last sentence? So after the first five fires, Mr. and Mrs. Cohen invited all employees with five years. Oh, uh, after the fires. Ten years, another pin with a little red ruby. Oh, yeah. So, the last drop so of they celebrated their years of, of each employee being there, and they celebrated as at the first one, we all received a five-year pin, and then at 10 years, they received another pin with a little red ruby, the last drop of blood, it was called. Why? Why was it called that? And a lot of viewers that do watch my Twitter and other things online have seen the ruby ring that uh -huh. my father wears. And, you know, it's equated to the other 
you know, clan that wears the red ring. But I have been very diligent in saying that my father's is actually a square rectangle where the other ones are, um, are oval, if you will. And my father's is a ruby to the best of my belief or a garnet, but I believe it's a ruby. That's also my birthstone. And he's very big about that. Um, but I think it's very significant that every 10 years, another pin with a little red ruby, um, for those that always wondered, I thought that that was a first significant thing that really, you know, credibly attributed to possibly my father's ring. Uh, especially if you're an executive, you wouldn't exactly be getting a pin, you'd get a ring, right? You'd get uh -huh. something of that nature. Um, here it says awards continued at each five-year interval for the 25-year anniversary. We all received a beautiful gold watch. Uh, so, I mean, all of that's interesting in itself. I think it's well, and I think that it doesn't. I think that more more so, it's on the actual pendant itself, like diamond or ruby, whatever it may be inside the ring. I don't think it's on the shape. Well, no, I, I, yeah, but I'm also, I'm bringing that up because that'll trigger a lot of people that are oh, yeah. the research. So I'm trying to point that out, Lindsay. And um, also another, like, so pinning is very Masonic. It's also very yep. military industrial complex. So I'm trying to point out the other okay. outside yeah. of the obvious. Yeah. Mm hmm And this is um, where the, the grooming uh, there. This is where the uh, you have the articles about the fires 80 in 83 uh, the property loss losses reached about five million at the diplomat hotel um, my my mother's side of the family was all restaurants in uh, Buffalo and Lockport it was the wishing well and then the hunter's horn which ironically the wishing well when my grandfather was from the military and um, apparently didn't pay taxes and things, uh, uh, suddenly the wishing well also caught on fire. So just mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we found that in the article in the ancestry. Yeah. Um, so I just find it weird that like three days, like there's two fires within three days here um, in the top articles. I didn't, I didn't put them pull them up or anything but um i just put that there for the viewers to see if they wanted to go pull the article uh, probably just people falling asleep with a cigarette in their hand i'm sure yeah the <laughs> it was the curtains you know and they never he, he never explains why like you know uh, another all, uh, insurance and money laundry go ahead yeah. oh yeah of course i'll be the one Another $20 million from losses and new loan was provided by the construction trade unions, and they eventually yeah. took over the property with a new management company in 1987. The Diplomat Hotel and Country Club was now operated by the unions and for the two years lost money before it closed. A few, a few years later, the property was imploded. And that's when they tore it down. Uh, the union if there were issues with the foundation. Uh <laughs> the union owners eventually built the new Weston Diplomat Resort on the site of the classic Diplomat Hotel. They invested $800 million, and I understand they are not making some of the mistakes that we did during the later years. They are making money and running a very successful resort. And that's talking about the one that's present day now. 
Over the years, the Diplomat Resort continued to add rooms, topping off at blah, 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 two golf courses. Oh, yeah, two golf courses and 19 tennis courts. But the hotel floundered economically, especially after a series of arson fires. That was the fires in, in 1983. Reopened in 1984, the hotel re welcomed President Reagan, who addressed the International Longshoremen's Association, as well as Bob Hope, who oh, hosted... Wow. New Year's Eve gala. I'm not sure what this gala is that he keeps talking about. Does anyone know? Gala. They love their, they love yeah. their galas. Their mm -hmm. galas. What is that? Yeah, it's a like beat. a big event, like where they it's pump a big each other up. Ego <laughs> so it's just like another big, word that you um, use. Ego stroking event. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So in 1987, when Cohen ceded control of the hotel to a group of the labor union pension funds that sold the hotel in 1997 to the United Association of Journeymen and Apprentices of the Plumbing and Pipe Fitting Industry. In 1998, the original hotel was imploded with 500 pounds of dynamite in less than 25 seconds. Oh, so that was in 1998 when they tore it down, the original We've got the longshoremen and the journeymen. It's very, yep. So creative. Okay, sorry. So I brought this article up because of their tennis tennis course and parking lot issues. Uh, this tennis, the tennis star Manuel Orandis, accustomed to winning courts on the nets, has decided not to battle in court with attorneys and judges. Instead, going to trial yesterday as scheduled, the tennis star settled out on court uh, his $50,000 breach of contract suit against the Diplomat Hotel and Country Club in Hollywood. His attorney, James R. Hubbard of Miami, refused to say how much he settled for. Both Orantes, who defeated Jimmy Connors in 1975 U.S. Open and Irvin Cohen, hotel president, apparently were satisfied with this settlement. I suspect that he, Orantes, would rather have had the contract to fulfill, but obviously in accepting the settlement, there was some degree of satisfaction. I'm sure he's satisfied, Cohen says, uh, the hotel, uh, said the hotel's attorney. Alan M. Rubin of Hollywood, settlements initially are entered in into because both sides would rather settle their differences and walk away friends than uh, litigate in court. Arantes filed the suit last January, and Judge Norman C. Rodinger Jr. had set the trial to begin yesterday, but it was scrubbed because of the settlement reached last week. Orantes, 32, a citizen of Spain, charged that the diplomat failed to pay him $50,000 due on his $90,000 contract to act as the hotel's representative on the international tennis circuit for three years, beginning September 1, 1997. Orantes contended he performed all the ob obligations required of him under this contract. The obligations included allowing his name to be used in the hotel's advertising and promotion and appearing at the hotel for tennis matches and clinics, according to the suit. The hotel responding to the allegations claimed that Orantes failed to fulfill his obligations by not implementing and developing a tennis program for the hotel, by not getting officials at tournaments in which he competed to int introduce 
uh, him as Emmanuel Orantes from the Diplomat Hotel in Hollywood, Florida, and by not using his best efforts to promote the Diplomat, according to pre-trial statement by Cohen Orantes, was to spend time at the hotel at least twice a year. That's what he says. He, he was only told to spend time at twice a year. But what other like performances was he supposed to be doing like besides advertising and promoting and appearing for tennis matches like I don't know but apparently they didn't want to pay him his money and then all of a sudden oh they just they're gonna settle but I don't know if you noticed but a lot of during these times with the same people we see a lot of people decide they were just gonna settle and they're just going to settle their differences and walk away. Who else did that? Uh, Sears? Yep. Was there a Sears involved? Yep. Was it John Revae Walsh on their Sears yep. case? Yep. Mm -hmm. And this just goes to show you, like, these attorneys and these law enforcement and people like that, like, that are so involved in these cases and um you know that are backing these people like it's crazy literally um because they it's just like we said earlier they have stuff on them it's known not to say anything even if you see something so you know i'm sure with this this case here which was only what four years before um, oh no! This oh his uh, contract began seventy seven. It was supposed to be from seventy seven to nineteen eighty. Yeah. Um. So right before Adam's, Adam's disappearance, this would be during the time that John Walsh would most likely still be there or about to, you know, go into the Bahamas. Um, I just thought it was weird. Like you're, he's from Spain. Um, all of it just. It's craziness. But, I mean, it just goes to show you there's several other different things that they are involved in that is so unknown and mysterious. So, for the next 29 years, he continued to be there, as we know. He, um, opening night, and again, either Friday or Saturday, keeping an eye on his waiters and staff to be seen, to see and be seen was my impression for the dozens of staff members in the kitchen ringing up din dinners and drinks. This was also before credit cards. Therefore, it was all cash, $30,000 or more a night for the first 10 or so years. We were the one of the last large resorts to accept credit cards. So oh. they paid everything in cash. No record. That's why. Wow. There's no record of cash. All these years, this says for the next 29 years, you see that? For 29 years, they only did cash? That's crazy. <laughs> A few sad. of the best entertainers included Buddy Hackett, Tony Martin, Sophie Tucker. Um, for Judy different, Garland. Yeah, Judy Garland, Sammy Davis Jr., Aretha Franklin, Bill Cosby, Jay Leno, Victor Hugo. Um... <clears throat> Victor Hugo was the Cuban-American uh, matron in the Cafe Crystal was always 
at the uh, less ambassador entrance to welcome the nightclub guests to the main dining room. Cuba, Each- Cuba is big. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Evening and command a cornel group of captains ready to set seat the thousands of guests for each show. For security reasons, we would schedule four to six off-duty Hollywood police detectives, all dressed as tuxedos. As you see here, these in this picture, they're all those are all Hollywood uh, police detectives dressed in tuxedos, so the guests would think of them as dining room captains. But we knew who they were, and they were all armed just in case of trouble. Yeah. Just like, that, just like John Walsh has the sheriff uh, at all the charity events and all the different stuff. Not the same exactly, but similar. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Hey, wait. Uh, Lindsay, I didn't hear you mention anything about 29 years of the cash thing. I mean, how many um, IRS raids and audits were there during yep. that time? Exactly. Well, you're about to see some more in a minute. Okay, so. So sometimes a guest who had uh, too much to drink would give the waiter a hard time when it would come to pay the check. So the waiter would call over one of these big HPD detectives in a smart tuxedo. Privately contracted. Go ahead. Yep. To end it all. And the guest sometimes would say, I don't care if you call the police. So there. So then, the detective would display his badge, and at, at, at in the event was over quickly. Wait, display his badge. Oh, and when the event was over, uh, quickly with the guest gladly paying the bill. John Monahan and that relationship. Mm-hmm. That's how he gets it. There you go. And then I had been at the Diplomat Hotel at this point for 30 years. The owners gave me a six-month surveillance arrangement. It took me quite a long time to find another position. I went to interviews in New York City, the Bahamas, and one at Naples on the West Coast. I oh, flew- Hank Asher. Go ahead. Yep. I flew out to Arizona and back one day to meet with the Japanese owners of a hotel to, build, to be built on the island of Guam. Nothing came of these interviews. Oh, the Japanese owners, kind of like the Japanese oh, guy that was on there, the flight in Colorado yes, that crashed and being followed by the feds for cocaine dealing that the uh, fiance of John Monahan was on the plane and John Monahan shows up with a larger man, <laughs> possibly one of these guys, and uh, basically identifies all of the skewed plane crash remains and closes the case like we see john walsh come into the hollywood police department and say that they're doing a horrible job and take over the case and brag about it and so yeah on. why would they do the case if, if they're all if they're friends yeah you would think it's not, they would it's not what you know it's who you know as they say what how yeah. i grew yep and it still is and Arizona, we see there too. Interestingly yep. enough, another huge hub for trafficking. We've already okay. We already saw Texas, Florida, Arizona, California, Chicago, Chicago, New York, and Canada. Colombia and Cuba. Colombia, internationally, Colombia and Cuba. Yeah. And um, then we have the box. Um, here's some more people that celebrities you see. Ray Charles, uh, uh, Ben Verne, uh, 
he was uh, one of the early nightclub entertainers. Um, this is, I want to remind the viewers that this is all prior to the disappearance of Adam. And this yep. is all where John Walsh is the years leading up to yes. it. I mean, for, for well-established. Yes. Yes. Right, and, and, and hobnobbing with all these people. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with him bragging about it. I would hear the stories. Yeah. I mean, I was put on stools, you know, and play Stan Getz, saxophone player, was my my father, John Walsh's sister, Jane Walsh, who I'm named after, was her lifetime, you know, lover or whatnot until he died, Stan Getz. I would put be put on the piano and Stevie, uh, what, gosh, what, why am I being ridiculous right now? Um, Stevie, Stevie Wonder, Wonder would literally play the piano to me. Yeah, I mean, that's what I grew up in. Yep. I would be, Stan Getz would put me on a stool on stage and play the saxophone to me in front of the entire crowd. Mm-hmm. We have Frank Sinatra. Okay. Into the nitty gritty. Um, the Diplomat's resident mafia man. is I put, um, his, his nickname was T.P. I do not remember when I first met T.P. I know the grapevine doesn't was not to cross him. It was okay to buy him a drink in the tick in the tack room when we were when we were there with the convention clients. I heard that he he wanted to use a room with a girl. I guess that the front desk would give to him a key, but the room at OOO out of order. And when he returned the key, call housekeeping to keep to put the room back in order, make the bed, fresh towels. TP stood for Tony Plate. A search of the web found this quote. Uh, this is where I found this quote. Um, Florida law enforcement authorities reported to other, no, he put this in there, my bad. Um, other Florida law enforcement authorities reported to other police agencies in October of 1973 that Anthony Plate was known to them to be an associate of the Gambinos. Um, I'll show you about those in a minute. Another search had small reference with people connected to Al Gore, a Miami representative of the Gambino organized crime family, was Anthony Plate. The Italian mafia web list, Anthony, sorry, Anthony Tony Plate, Plata Soldier, 1913-79, Healthy, U.S. Social Security Death Index, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we don't need to know that. Another search found the missing part of my story, how T.P. met his maker. There was no doubt Willie Boyd Johnson had been involved in the murder of Anthony Plate in Florida in 1979. Plate worked in a lone sharking operation in Miami. He once jumped on the desk of a debtor, spit in his face, and threatened to bite him. Plate had been indicted in the death of another lone shark. The family was afraid that mere presence of the sinister Looking plate at the defense table would hinder their chances. Plate walked out of the Miami Beach Hotel one August morning and was never seen again. Shortly hmm. after this, Scotty and Johnson appeared with sun deep suntans. Plate's murder helped the case win an acquittal. The last time TP's name came up was when the two FBI agents were in my office with a subpoena for some telephone records in an unrelated investigation. While waiting for the microfilm to, to locate the records, one of the agents turned to me with the following quote, you must have known Tony Plate. Not wishing to 
Untruthful, my answer was, I used to see him taking the elevator to the solio. The agent's response was, you will never see him again. The family told his wife he didn't suffer, and the agent continued, I guess he knew too much. He just knew too much. So, that's literally Mr. Rogers' um, accusation of this FBI agent pretty much telling him that he's the one that killed this guy. And now to my mafia stories, never told to anyone up until this time, the grapevine had TP taking one of our hotel managers, BR, as we called him, into an executive washroom and almost choking him. Bernie Resnick, also known as the White Knight, due to his always wearing a white suit, no socks, and man-tan suntan, had some trouble with the cabana boys, and they're asking guests for tips. Oh. TP told him to lay off the cabana boys. Resnick got the message. Another grapevine story had TP giving our music director, Van Smith, late one night in the lobby, a big black eye, telling him to stop overcharging for the music to some of his Italian friends. My personal run-ins were almost as bad, but somehow I got out of them without being hurt. As the treasurer, I was responsible for money and hotel property. One day, the beverage man or the beverage manager, Joe Ferris, came to me with the information that TP had been down to the liquor storeroom and got a case of scotch by just demanding it. Joe was scared to death and just to just gave it to TP. My duties now were required that I pass on the details to my boss, Mr. Cohen. I guess you could get you could call me naive as thinking back, I should have just forgotten about it and fixed the books. He's just admitting what he does, right? Um, any, anyway, days later, I was in the boss's office at five o'clock. He never saw him in the morning, if possible, and by this time, he would be a little mellow, having had a couple of drinks. Well, I told Irving the story. His response was like, kind of like this. Roger, we cannot let this happen again. Next time you see TP, just tell him to cut it out. Irving knew TP probably better than I did, and at this point, there is a great Jewish word for my actions. Muck. Did your dad ever say that? No. Okay. A couple of days later, he was in the tack room, cocktail lounge, when he saw TP come in. I took him aside and passed work. You can't take any more bottles from Joe. TP took my hand as, as if to shake it, saying, What did you say? As, as he squeezed it to me where I thought it would fall off. Backtracking quickly, I said, I'm sorry, just forget about it. Fortunately me, TP knew I was just the messenger. The episode was over. So this this con guy, like, is literally, oh, well, it's okay. The next run-in was a lot more serious. Fridays I worked double shift. Nightclub closed at 2 a.m. So Saturday was half day for me. I would come in late, stay in the lunch. Reservation had two parts. Outer office for social re reservations was manned on Saturdays, but the larger inner office was empty. Uh, he's so descriptive. Incident occurred. This incident occurred. I was ready to leave the property. I was standing in the middle of the inner office, looking at the reservations manager's office with its door closed. Un unnoticed to me, TP and Jack Mucci, or Mucky, our reservation manager, was in there, and TP was having a cup of coffee. 
The door had a non-see through glass, but I could not see him, but they could see me. The door opened and TP said, Roger, come here. Why are you looking at me? I ought to throw this coffee at you. Backing up, he slowly departed the office. I'm sorry, I didn't know you're in there. But the grapevine around the diplomat was, what did you do to TP? He's mad at you. Now I had to figure out how to get through to TP and straighten this mess out. Fortunately, I remembered that I had heard that our new assistant chief of security was from a mafia family. I spoke to John, and he said he would see what could be done. A week later, word came back that something was okay between TP and me. Everything. Huh? Everything was okay. Yep. I never had any more contact with TP other than him, other than buying him a drink once in a while. The FB's advice, you will never see him again, was true. Dang. So, and he never mentions which John this is. So, I'm assuming it was John Monaghan. Um, but, let me see. I was going to show you about Anthony Plate real quick. Um... I was just saying a side note, a really random side note, unrelated. It's funny to hear this TP being used because I grew up with a kid. Um, you know, I was cheerleader. I go to the St. Edward's school in little, you know, in River County, which has a lot of ironically famous people that have come out of it. Uh, Tom Segura, the comedian, Marty Fish, the tennis player, um, uh, Jake and Jer so Jake Owens, which is now known as Josh Owens. The I mean, uh, sorry, his name is originally Josh Owens. He's now known as Jake Owens. I believe the country music star was one of my first boyfriends. All of this, and and I was just texting to Gino that TP is hilarious because I grew up with a kid. I was a cheerleader, and he was the football player, and he would drive me home once in a while because he lived on the island, and his last name was Kennedy. Um, and I mean, I grew up with Kennedy's DuPont's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, all of these Bushes, uh, you know, the Anheuser, Busch. I mean, Peter Bush of Anheuser Bush is my dad's best friend through polo and grew up with all of his kids. Wow. And it's very ironic to see this small group. And then, like I said, I started growing up and realizing like half of my dad's friends were like ex-drug traffickers and I was hanging out with their kids and we'd be in their houses with elevators and the whole living rooms with all their hunting trophies, you know, the stuffed animals and heads on the walls and all of this, even to the point where one of my dad's good friends, John Sherry, uh, all of a sudden when I was in college, we heard how he went missing. His wife said he went missing. His daughters were told he went missing. And then years later, we find out that he had actually been in federal prison the entire time. And it's ironic that once they took my children, as soon as they took my children, my daughter actually in passing, my parents, my excuse me, my parents, my children would always give me information, of course, because they're just repeating what's going on and telling mommy and uh, let me know how after decades these people haven't interacted, but suddenly my parents were going to lunch with, you know, John Sherry's wife. Marsha Sherry and it's all these same players that my parents my parents don't have friends you guys like they literally right. only have these same people that are from the Adam days and it's like these guys moved up north from Miami and they're 
their trafficking days and moved up to Vero Beach, which is known for its money laundering and harboring and all of that to like what launder their money and raise their kids and have a normal life. I don't know. You tell me. Well, and it's always back and forth from New York to uh, Miami to Florida to Texas and then back to, uh, you know, the um, Columbia, Cuba and the the Bahamas. Like it's all about them. It's all same racket, same people. Yeah. Like the uh, names just happen to be big names that we know. And then this article. Yeah. And then this article, it, it um, tells um, pretty much about this jailed mobster plotted for murder. And that this is the TP guy who he was talking about. And uh, apparently um, he was randomly killed. And um, that's what he talks about in that article that the F- where the FBI says, oh, it's taken care of. You don't have to worry about him anymore. So, so I guess that's where my dad got that line. Uh, hate yep. to say it, but real, very real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we're just wrapping it up here. Okay. Um, so that's where um, this one is, comes in with the Gambino family. They're from New York. And I'm going to, I wish I had the actual piece. Maybe we could show it next time. But um, I just want to reiterate, in America's Most Wanted, I swear, even the new ones now, I skim through them. And from his beginning of America's Most Wanted to the end to now, every single time, almost every criminal that is wanted is literally Spanish. And... <laughs> um. And they're always a mob, or they're always, uh, oh, they were in the cartels, or they're, oh, it's the cartel guy wanted, or, uh, oh, this is a, a mafia guy wanted. Well, I have to find the exact one. But he kind of like America's Most Wanted did? Go ahead. No, this is what I'm telling you. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Sorry. About, your dad doing, chat, about your dad guess. doing this. <laughs> yeah, about your dad doing this. Yeah. So, this Gambino guy which is Carlos Gambino from Mafia Family in New York. Yeah. Um, I actually found him before all this. I found um, with his autobiography. I found him because I was actually watching an old clip from uh, one of the America's Most Wanted episodes, and he actually mentions this guy, Gambino, on the, on the show, Wanted, that he was wanted. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was crazy. So it just goes to show you that all these other ones are obviously not, maybe not all of them, but like all these ones that he's always out to get or out to put the blame on, or he wants us to get them. We're going to get them. We're going to get these guys and we need your help. So yeah, it's just like, just goes to show you what he's, you know, he's trying to point the fingers at these Cubans and these Spaniards and, all these other people that are in the mafia and everything, so it could get the get get the people from looking at him to look the other way. When it's all about him, he's Those the scumbags. one. Those scumbags. Oh, and he mentions that word again, by the way, in uh, one of the shows that's um, 
new one of the new shows it's his coined it's his coined phrase like they literally i would literally sit on set with the writers and they would be writing the term into the script because he would use it so much and then i looked up what a scumbag actually is and he got the american people and children and everything to basically be saying i'm going to be vulgar for a second excuse me lord but um you know a scumbag is a cum rag so that's Mm -hmm. basically what everyone's uh, just reiterating just for those not in the know or who cares yeah so here's some um also some articles um this one is uh in the miami herald um about the drug smuggling from columbia now i want to reiterate that uh like the kids i grew up with here in vero beach yeah yep and um that uh music videos through the industry so because it's not all tied together Exactly. And as we see, we know Chase Bank used to be Texas Commerce Bank, um, which is the bank used with the diplomat. And then we have here uh, Colombian smugglers coming in, sending agents to Miami to collect money from Americans buying drugs. Um, Here's your proof. I mean, I don't even know what other proof you need. But, and then we have... uh, the first National Bank of Miami laundering money, who was the uh, senator and um, governor and, you know. And then we have uh, Gluckler here, uh, one of the commissioners, uh, saying, oh, it's purely a business decision, he said. And he began thinking about it after a recent NBC News series on Miami's cocaine cowboys. Yeah. Who mentioned the bank? Because that's not them. Yeah. Yeah. And we have the Crime Lords in Florida, was the title of this one. Um, and about the Operation Banco investigation of the smugglers who've been forced into tactics for use of money exchangers, um, who um, the modern exchangers often are businessmen who fear being put out of business and may be easier to pressure into cooperation with authorities. Um, still, the bankers say that smugglers in a, are, a fit, are sophisticated enough to continue despite the intensive investigation. If police think they'll catch these people by subpoenaing, subpoenaing bank records, then we're going to be flooded with drugs, said Manuel Vergara, president of Total Bank. So these banks knew what they were doing by the yeah, way um, similarities to modern day i haven't showed you this um megan but i'm gonna pull it up separately if i can Let's see well and while you're doing that i know this is a, this is digressing for a second but i wanted to read these and i i forgot that i had them uh when we were talking about paradise island so while you're pulling this up well, wanna... we're going to go over Paradise Island in the next episode, I think, because um, oh, there's okay. so much on it. But you can bring it up. We're going to conclude no. with we're, – we're I just, I just want to be pulling things together for people because we started with Bush, and we've gotten into a lot of other stuff that's, you know, obviously all related and significant. We're going to show – yeah, 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 don't worry. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go into this, and Gina is going to show a few pictures of John, John Walsh's second boss. Uh, who was also a known celebrity, who has known a lot of other celebrities, yeah. um, uh, to tie in and also 
uh, then we'll go more into detail about Paradise Island and who else owns lands in Paradise Island, Great. Uh, which would be these crazy celebrities who are involved in these nasty things with children, um, which we're going to conclude with in just a few moments. But um, this one, I wanted to share with you because I thought it was very, very ironic. So, charity accused of schemes registered in Florida. This was from July 21st, 1979. The International Children's Appeal, a charity which ABC News says is involved in a gun running in the laundering of mob drug smuggling <laughs> revenues, is registered as an active nonprofit agency in Florida. Thursday night's edition of 2020 ABC's News Magazine charged that the New York and California-based charity was posing as the official fundraising arm of the United Nations National Year of the Child while engaging in numerous criminal acts. The program detailed the activities of its director and chairman, John Ellsworth, who ABC said that has been involved in frequent previous illicit schemes and has, this, and has served as the government informer. The, um, among those taken in, ABC disclosed the First Lady, Rosalind Carter, who held a White House luncheon for this group. In March, the International Children's Appeal sent one of the one of its agents to Tallahassee to register its, it as a nonprofit corporation with the state of Florida. Don Hazleton, director of the Division of Licensing, said in March they applied for a, a charity solicitation license. They gave their address as 9445 Bird Road in Miami. The state then sent its standard reply. We asked for a $50 registration fee and a current audit. They never responded. They have no license to solicit in Florida. And if they are soliciting, they are doing so against the law and are subject to action by a state attorney's office. The International Children's Appeal lists Miami Attorney George Notch Walter as its Florida registered agent. Notch Walter, whose office at 9211 Bird Road is near 9445 Bird Road address at, of the charity, was unavailable for comment. Whether the group was raising funds actively in Florida, it is uncertain. Direct mail solicitation and a national Watts line are among means used to raise money. Yesterday, there was no answer on the group's national Watts line. Better Business Bureau of Palm Beach County, President David Fancher, said the International Children's Appeal had been reviewed by the BBB nationally and does not meet the BBB guide for, for giving. Fancher said he had received no complaints about the agency and didn't know if it was solicitating in the area. Uh, A charity that was okay. called the National Children's Appeal. Yeah. And then that was 1979. And then, um, and registering and filling out and then not following through. Yeah. But still yeah. possibly operating. Yeah. And, and involved in gun running and laundering of mob drug smuggling revenues. Right. right. So was the agency that, uh, John Walsh, uh, incorporated doing the same thing? Hmm. History does like to repeat itself as we're seeing. I'm yeah, why not go under a whole different name and scheme and person to do it since they were exploited here in this article? 
because as me and Gina were, were talking about the other day, you know, maybe back then they were speaking a little truth on 2020 and ABC. As we, yeah. as we know now they aren't because we have proof of that, but I mean, back well, it's then, just like the judges around Adam's case and the police initially were actually doing and asking the right questions and making the right decisions. And then we've seen it gone, go awry. Right. Which is, yep. which is real. So there's that. There's that. I wonder if Gino went to bed on us. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> I I am tired though. I will say that. Okay, you know this is um. Yeah, we're other, uh, um, agents suspected grand jury return indictments on leaders of this drug importing ring in Tampa and Dade in Broward County. So it's just bring this is just bringing Broward County into effect again under Operation Banco. Um with the Royal Trust Bank of Miami and the $7 million, million dollar jump in outstanding cashier's checks. Um, wow. In accounts under phony names. He found, the, money. Of, he yeah. found the money had come from, wait, go back real quick. He found, oh, the money, oh. he found the money had come from checking accounts that had been opened under phony names. Okay. Yep. And this is uh, just a little bit of Show more of that. Um, and this, this is showing where the New York City and like where um, New York comes from. And this is how we know. I think this is how we know how John Walsh came into effect and got to Florida. He knew one of these people, um, uh, as we know, as we just know that he was a friend, is what he told you, right, Megan? He, oh, a friend, oh, a friend recommended me. To Florida or something. Yeah, right? I think it was his friend through Notre Dame, which is significant in itself. There's yeah, his Jeff O'Regan friend, who so then just, just, later they would be all doing coke together and everything, living in the house with mm -hmm. Adam. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, I just wanted to throw this out there, just so y'all know. He also mentions Israel in this, in this article. Which we all know about the Contras and all that with Bush and all that, that bringing that into effect with the, the diplomat. Of Reagan. Yeah. With the diplomat, this is coming into effect with the diplomat. I mean, guys, it's all there. It's just, I hope you got. I hope I like literally showed you like, in that you could see it, clear as day. Because I I, I was on the floor for hours, for real. But he just describes here. Um, where he takes a trip to the Columbus Circle, um, down to Broadway, and, um, you know, his tux, like he always does, and then um, he's talking about how he goes to New York to consolidate a New York reservation office with Israel office of a small chain of Dan hotels with Sam Friedland, uh, had just acquired a Israel, including the King David Hotel, I mean... He was everywhere. I think next uh, episode we'll get into Saudi as well. <laughs> yeah, we can bring that into the pledge yeah. uh, to get Harriet on countries. Well, I don't want to skip over this because we're late. I think that maybe we should, um, you know, kind of close this one up and maybe start explaining New York stuff and 
uh, different things as well next time as well as, you know, Paradise Island and um, kind of bringing this these bush connections full force. Of course, if there's stuff you still want to bring up uh, tonight well, that's, to include that, you know, please do. Absolutely. Well, I just want to bring this article up again. Um, it goes along with the airlines and the um, with Paradise Island and him becoming the senior VP sales marketing um, manager of Hotel Management Associates Limited. Um, $26 million hotel, uh, opened in 1982. Um, and then we have, uh, these travel agents here, um, in Pompano beach. Um, and this, that just came back from a communication seminar in Arizona. That's where Arizona comes yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. So, Gino, oh. did you want to, uh, so we're going to conclude um, and do the Bahama thing um, next episode. But Gina does want to show you as we conclude into that um, at the ending this tonight, um, those pictures of, of John Walsh's mm -hmm. second boss, um, which was <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Robert Murdoch. Yeah. Oh. yeah uh, can you go ahead and stop sharing? Good yeah, job. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Get my screen set here. And thank you, Lindsay. I want everyone, to, I, I know that if they could in the chat, everyone would thank you very, very much for that. That was really amazing. I think it planted a lot of seeds and uh, gave people, you know, hopefully things to look into and research deeper for yourselves. That's kind of the point uh, always, right? Might be annoying mm -hmm. to some, but it exciting to others um yeah. but it is about us presenting the facts and and research and things and then us coming together to kind of show that you know or question what was really mm -hmm. going on here and to yeah. get towards the truth of a very controversial and still mm -hmm. up in the air uh case as well that as one that has created a lot of people to besides just myself to be retaliated against uh uh questioning so thank you so much Lindsay for that thank you yeah. great job Lindsay I, I, fantastic I mean literally like my brain hurts <laughs> I know. a lot of information a lot of history mm -hmm. we had, we had a seminar of history class <laughs> and Gina contemplated on putting it into three episodes but yeah, I was like so no I think we, this this needs to be together I think that was, I think you're right about that. And, and hopefully, you know, if it was, a, again, it was a lot of information. I, I always watch these afterwards. I never watch my own interviews, but when it's fun research and things like this, I do love to watch. And we always know, like we say all the time, right? Like hindsight is twenty twenty, or when we review something, kind of the whole point here of looking at Adam's case after 42 years mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Call me the loony goon, but I love always bringing things together from past into present and, and showing patterns and correlations and yeah. maybe learning from those and, and yeah. uh, you know, moving forward or, or doing things differently. So thank yeah, you I so think, much. I'm glad that we could show them like how everything is connected and how, you know, give to different situations and give them a, a clear picture. So we're not just speaking it. We, they actually see you know you guys actually see yeah. it we've you're i mean we've done years bringing of sauce yeah, yeah. Lindsay's bringing yeah. the sauce we've had again penny shepherd was doing very similar you know stuff in the in my notebook yeah yeah 
and I did all the Adam research and we've done the national center I've done. And, you know, I think it's a great, I, I think, what was it? Cappy said at one point, you know, we need to get the Cappy out of this. And I feel like, uh, you know, I'm in the similar position. So I'm very happy to be able to be taking this back seat after years of exposing and revealing and showing and being, you know, terrorized. I'm very happy to have other people come in uh, you know, to show what they've done people in like, not only like Lindsay herself, but, um, you know, Shannon and, and different people that we have joining, uh, in the Twitter space. I know social media can be very silly and, and bantering. And sometimes we feel like we're not getting anywhere, but I do like to see, you know, the use out of things and the good out of things, which we have been getting a lot of people coming forward, uh, which I was hoping from the beginning would happen, but researching and, and putting, uh, connecting the dots, right, I guess is the yeah. phrase to use and connecting the dots and, and deciding for themselves. You know, I yeah. was never here with an agenda or this is what I know to be true or anything. This is horrific for me. And, you know, I, I learn things every day, uh, but also have done years of research and, and really put time in. So I really am thankful for uh, you, Lindsay, and and coming forward and putting this out. And, and I hope that it also encourages more people uh, to come forward and, and kind of give their information, their knowledge on these different things. I mean, this is this is what we should be doing. So thank you so much. I, it's it's really great. It's really great. Gina. Yeah, Gina, I forgot to send you this, but um, uh, it was the video, uh, the clips on um, where John Walsh, and we could just, I could just let you know, you can find it out there, you guys, but um, where he covered 9-11, mm -hmm. and uh, yep. I thought kind of ironic. We might have to do a show where we uh, show all of the cover stories. Maybe that's one we need to do. Oh, yes. He's at, okay. Oklahoma, really City. Okay. He's at Oklahoma City. He's at 9-11. Mm -hmm. He's at the Versace, you know, murder on my birthday. Yeah. You know, all those. He's, he's, he's the cover guy. So. Yep. Now, Interesting you bring up. Oh. Your intro. What? What? Yeah. Were you saying? what? It, Oh, interesting yeah. That you, interesting that you bring up Oklahoma City because uh, Little Red Russian had mentioned or asked, let's bring back America. Oh, sorry, wrong one. Uh, where was that? Did I lose your comment? As I was going to say, I missed Oh, here it is. Did, did, your, did, your dad have any, did your dad have any contact with Roger Moore, who was introducing McVeigh into the gun circuit scene? Moore was CIA connected and living in Florida, I believe. Are you aware yeah, of that? Yeah, I, uh, I screenshotted that comment so that we could, uh, you know, do a little dig and, and find. Mm -hmm. I don't want to answer when we don't know stuff. I like to sure. find the proofs and the, the stuff, right, guys? We like to. Absolutely. Who's the real man hunter here? No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I can't do, I'm going to bring in who can. So, yeah. um, no, little I think. Little Red uh, Russian also yeah, said little, that Gino needs a siesta. Uh, no, it's. No, it's not a siesta. I need like a long sleep. Uh, I go to bed because it's. Y'all yeah. uh, are freaking me out for a minute because I was like, hello, is anyone there? Are you just talking or what? We no, were all astonished at the information or y'all are just like, you know. Mad, Mad Pogue. No, not Roger Moore, the actor. Yeah, I know. That's it's confusing. Not not James Bond. No. 
this uh roger moore was someone involved uh, supposedly mcveigh robbed his i think gun arsenal or whatever some store or on his farm and um roger moore i mean it's kind of known that he's probably cia <laughs> involved some way uh, but he came up with this story during the the trial and stuff, and it's been debated. But yeah, that's another rabbit hole, anyway. But Which is not also James Bond. James Bond gets brought up because maybe mm. I'll tie it together. We've Paradise Island behind me and the Diplomat and everything. I was literally raised on like James Bond, Quantum <laughs> Leap. Uh, hang on, it relates to this. Hmm. I was gonna say he could, um, since we're going in there, uh, we could show the pictures of these people. Since you're talking about the James Bond and stuff. You want me to show them right? I, well, I mean, let's, I, Megan, finish your thought, and then I want to just go quick with them. Yeah. It's okay. okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So, and, all right. So, just kind of a segue into next week. We definitely need to cover John Walsh's second boss in uh, yep. his second career. And this is just Correct. some of the people that his boss hung out with, Rupert Murdoch. Uh, we've got, well, I'll be darned, it's Ghislaine Maxwell's father and Ghislaine Maxwell. I mean, uh, yep. what is he hanging out with these people for? Henry Kissinger, of all people. Uh, Bush. We've got the Queen for crying out loud. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah. these are just a few picks of Rupert Murdoch. And if you're not aware who Rupert Murdoch is, uh, I mean, he's obviously the um, found. Oops. Oops. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. That was not what I was trying to hit. <laughs> my my sleepy eyes clicked the wrong one. Sorry. Uh, no, uh, Rupert Murdoch obviously is the founder and of um, Fox Network, and obviously Fox Network is where America's Most Wanted started in 1988. Rupert Murdoch also Fox News. Well, now they're tied in with some other people. We know Disney's part of that. Actually, Disney pretty much owns it. So yep. we're going to go down that next week, get into that, and also into Paradise Island, how they all tie together and keep the uh, story flowing in the direction yeah. that uh, Lindsay's been digging. Ladies, great show. Little clip? Did you want to play that little clip of Murdoch? Because it's pretty short. You know what? Um, no, I think let's save that. Let's save that for next week. That'll be a good good start of the show next week, going into that stuff. I think we teased him a little bit with Murdoch, just so I mean everybody knows who he is in this chat for sure. Um, well, uh, did that, he we'll just does some things in that video um, to his people of like his right. control and things he has. Right. Yeah. Let's let's hold off on that one. It's late. We've got we're almost at four hours, so I don't want to keep everybody around. I thank you guys so much, by the way, that have stuck around. We've had a really good crowd over there in Rumble. Appreciate you. And then all the, the, I don't know what was going on with Foxhole. There was a few channels down, a few were up. I did get it restarted. So we did get some viewers back over there on the Foxhole. Also a big shout out to uh, pill.net admin, Foxhole admin, the mats. They gave us a shout out on Twitter. Thank you so much for an X. Thank you for that. Appreciate you guys always. Yeah, um, sure. Ladies, great show. Uh, Lindsay, you did a great job tonight. Appreciate you yeah. so much. Yeah. Megan, as always, love you, sis. Love you guys. Um, tomorrow night, The Blender, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, if you guys want to join us here on the in Insight channel. Uh, on your way out, if you guys can do us a big favor, we would definitely appreciate clicking that thumbs up button like Megan had uh, mentioned earlier. Um, that gets us in the algorithms, and we want this story to get out. We want people to understand what what 
Megan has to deal with. So we need people to know. We need you guys to share. You got no, I haven't talked like come on. Come on. This is about what what, I and I thank you. And I thank <laughs> oh, you. No, I just want to say a complete oh, sentence. Oh, okay. You know, this is not just about me. This is about what history has happened in our nation and how this has affected exactly. our country. Like, we literally need to start realizing this. I am so sick of, and I don't, I, this is not personal. I'm not reacting to anybody here. I love my coast, everything. But I, you know, it, this is not about like coddling Megan or anything of the nature that I have to deal with every day on the plat on platforms, right? And out in society. This is just a, a general statement and triggering but this is about how this has affected our nation this is this yeah. is like cia this is police state this is fear-mongering of a nation this is how children were raised this is what our government yeah. allows i mean i could go on for another four hours on what this is and i really need people to start understanding and i i don't mean to get crazy but like i i'm always so like Oh, I hope people put two and two together and we need to start realizing that this has a huge, all I'm trying to say from my heart is that this has, a, has had a huge impact on the American people. This has affected where we are today and we can't, you know, fiction will only create more fiction. There will never be truth right. created from fiction. So we have to go back originally to correct the record, as we would say in law, right? Even in itself, even though that's non-existent these days, but I do believe in real law and good law. And I think that we need to go back and correct the record. And I'm so honored and thankful for, you know, everyone coming together and understanding like Gino and Lindsay for understanding the importance of this and taking the time and everyone that viewed and everyone that's trying to participate and bring research forward. You know, we've gone on for three and four years and, and beyond that with amazing researchers and into every other avenue. And also at the same time saying that the kids are what matters and what's first. Yeah. And I'm not pushing this because I, you know, of course I want my kids back. My whole life's been ruined. My children are in jeopardy of their safety every single day. And my heart and my mind and everything is tormented every second of every day. But I have to put that on the back burner and know that this is a bigger than myself, that this is God's plan and that we need to start understanding how this affects people and how this relates on on a bigger level to everyday people yeah. throughout our society and across our country and how also furthermore this has uh, impacted an international uh presence and society and interaction all of it okay it's it's yeah. what, four or five what time whatever time it is in the morning right now but you know we i we have I, I'm I'm speaking this from my heart. It's not as as a trigger, a, a reaction, or anything. It's just we have to start getting real with this. Enough yeah. of like the PC. We've all been so PC'd out. It's insane. I'm sick of politically correct. I'm sick of all of it when it's negating and gatekeeping. You know these crimes and these crises and humanitarian issues from being solved. That that's where I have an issue with it. You know. I'll keep great. Well, I want to thank you all. Well, like just to go along with that, like if John Walsh would do this to his own daughter, what makes you think he won't do it to the whole world? Like, like covering up for these people. He's using me to do that to in the future, start doing that to everyone. Yeah. That's people. Like I'm sick of the whole 
fear monger or don't whatever, because other people have given the American public, you know, emergencies that maybe weren't real. And I'm not here to fear monger people. I want to preach that we can all come together and that we can resist this, that we can stop this. We could end it in a day if we actually just spoke up about the fact that our source domestically is child protective services. And then we handle everything that is the fallout from there. And and this is not an an un manageable situation. This is not something bigger than us. This is not something that needs federalizing or privatizing or a national level. This is something that actually needs to be handled uh, on a local level and uh, and by the people. And it'll be very, I know that it's more successful that way. There's no, by default, there is no way that a system could actually be more successful than loving thy neighbor as thyself and coming together and supporting families, protecting children in real ways. And why is that so wild to think that maybe for decades, our government has told us that it's protecting us and when it's actually been setting up things to remove our children and target our families or parents or divide parents, divide families, all of that. We see it even uh, on a, a national level, just within, you know, activism or our, our social issues. Why would that not happen here? Um, and we need to stop with saying that, you know, the children come first, we need to end child trafficking, but then it's like, it's the last thing that we all talk about. We're talking, we're literally all trying to find everything like, and, and not to say that the other stuff isn't important, but the other stuff does truly stem from this issue because of the fact mm-hmm. that childhood trauma is what affects us later in life. And, and, and us later in life is what makes our society, right? So yeah. when, when we, do it like yeah, it, it's pretty fundamental and pretty simple. Um, and I'm, I am, you know, growing up in what I grew up in, I will say, I, and I've said it many times, I'm allergic to drama. I'm allergic to the chaos. I'm allergic mm-hmm. to drama and yeah. it, it gets me itchy. It gets me talking, you know, crazy, or I do nervous, you know, all the stuff that would be allergic reactions <laughs> physically <laughs> to drama, I guess, if you could have that. And, and that's why I get sometimes the way I am about this issue, because it is, it, the, the chaos magic, the glamour, the saviorism, the, you know, the emotional manipulation, just the level of sickness and, and twisting and abuse and exploitation that has come from making this an initiative in our country and then extending Mm -hmm. it globally that we're going to protect children when the issue itself has only risen five to 600% since we started saying we were going to stop it. And that doesn't work for me. And um, I'm watching children be destroyed and sold and names changed. And, you know, John Walsh is literally, no matter any of what we've talked about with history, or if any of this is true or false, John Walsh has literally committed crimes and is currently committing third degree felonies, federal kidnapping, uh, you know, and more as we speak in the past years alone. So, I mean, take your pick you guys but we need to address this and how do we do that like we report then well and i need people reporting i have faced huge retaliation i filed rico and my five-day-old baby was taken days after after we were terrorized so 
You know, this is what the American people, everyone wants everyone else to do something about it. And they want to like go, oh, yay, when something changes. But, you know, it's time for the American people to stand up. And, you know, that's another thing, like whistleblowers and people with this information aren't even wanting to come out anymore. Like, you know, it's at this point in America, to be honest, like, should I have ever even come out? We lost everything. No one stands up for us. No one... You know, there's people suffering and and dying while there's like, you know, influencers and platforms and already media aligned, you know, initiatives that are just taking over and gatekeeping for us again while they're saying that they're, you know, uh, against that, for example. So, I mean, it's it's a big mess and I don't have all the answers. And, and that's what the American people is literally, they're literally looking at parents and and people that are advocates and parents and meaning victims and traumatized with their children gone who are the real victims that aren't even paid attention to and and we're looked at as we're supposed to have the answers and we're supposed to tell the public and then we can easily be discredited or say you're i mean it's such a cheap it's a cheap sick state that we're in uh when we're when we're interacting about this to be honest it, i i don't have the words for where we're at as a society and a humanity when we're engaging like this or shaming other people you know and saying oh your kids should have gotten taken or you know i mean i, I won't go i won't start on that because we're ending but you know we we really need to have some some hard talks with ourselves as the American public in private, in the, in the privacy of your own moment with yourself in your car in the morning, I don't care in your shower. Yeah. Really think about where you are and if you care about children and what your complacency is that if it doesn't happen to you, then it doesn't matter. And we're talking about children and yeah. then you mean all the people that because we're adults and we can speak that that then that doesn't matter because you can't hear from the children who are being raped and killed and sold and their mm-hmm. rights are being violated. John Walsh wants to talk about children's rights. All these people want to talk about children's rights. Children have a right under God. No, let me finish, please. To their biological families. They have a right to their biological families. We are violating children's rights. And that's only one small example of how we're doing that. But yet we say as a people that that's the thing that matters the most. So what hypocrisy are we really living in? Who are we as a society? Is this really one nation under God? Is this really about freedom? You know, do we, is it really the kids and families first? We really need to have some hard talks with ourselves, honestly. And, and I, I'm heartbroken saying that. I, I say that hoping that there's going to be change in the future and that people will start to realize if if my example and the countless others doesn't do it, I, I don't know what will. And this is years into it now. There's people that have been talking out about this for decades and still the public has this glamour magic over it. And, oh, it's John Walsh or, oh, it's the National Center. I mean, we talk about it, especially patriots in every other realm. We're looking at every single other person that probably doesn't even matter at the end of the day. But then we refuse to look at who says they're the authority over children, who has the most power over our children and, and our families and what's going on. That that does not make sense. Yeah. Can I play something real quick? Uh, just a sound. Yeah, yeah please. Lindsay. Oh, there's a kitty. One of them. Catch the bastard. 
You'll be protected. If you're afraid, you can remain anonymous. We don't take the calls. We don't trace the calls. We just need the tips to get these guys off the street. Yeah, John Walsh. Anyone can call and report a crime. It doesn't say it, you know. Report, John. It's a, if it's suspected or anything, you can call anonymously. Well, and I made a post earlier. Like, I didn't realize. Well, I, I think I have realized kind of it. It's like they always mirror things. Like, they always talk about their own self when they're yes, displaying information. It's and that's exactly what he does his own self as he's done to you. Yes, it's it's an abuser playbook. Um, it's narcissism and abuse playbook. It's yes. projection. It's technically mm -hmm. what it's DARVO. Uh, for those that know DARVO, it's projection. It's narcissistic abuse. It's you when know, the real aside from all the drama, that's literally what I was talking to my parents about. I was coming yeah. within my family about the domestic abuse and the toxic relationship that was now affecting my children and that I wasn't going to participate in that. And I wanted them to get help as a, even with everything as a loving daughter and in the, the path of, you know, in the industry of healing that I was in and the path that I had gone down, the work I had done on myself, I wanted my parents to literally go get help. Finally, we've had a history of this through my entire life. And I, I was finally 38 years old in a position that I could have authority to say so and not be just the kept child uh, and and all of that so, and gaslit and abused. And instead, like John Walsh knows in his past, is known for in his past, he went and weaponized uh, his buddies and his contacts. It's not, this isn't rocket science. Like that's who he knows. That's who he hangs out with. And yeah. They wanted my kids. They've always said the kids are what keep us young. And they've had to be told by therapists, these are not your children. This is not your second chance to raise a family together. And that's what they're doing. They're literally, they have, they've broken my children up. They have nannies raising them and they get to come in and out and play husband and wife with their own grandchildren, which is very disgusting and weird. Uh, when they feel like it or for appearances like going to the school play of the new school. They even put held my daughter back in school to do this whole thing to say that she was deficient in reading. And I just found out she was actually skipped a grade and is put back into normal grade school just for their hoax. Yeah. Just for the hoax. Yeah. Well, I hope people see that the real America's most wanted is John Walsh himself. It's horrific. He's the real one that's most wanted because he's the one that's helped these people do all these things. Using these other people that like tool who only commits fires. I mean, and then just make him out to be a murderer. They use these people that are already in the system. They've already yeah. We're seeing, I mean, people are now, I don't mean to interrupt you, Lindsay, but you're right. And we're trying to wrap up tonight, but you know, we're seeing it now. We've seen with the Whitmer hoax, we've seen Jesse Smollett with his lynching, you know, agenda and all this being happening, you know, happening in terms of hoax, 
but also furthermore, you know, taking people and targeting them in their real lives, like the mm-hmm. Whitmer guys that, you know, they were saying it's a militia and when guys that wanted to get together and do like tactile stuff, like on the weekends, you know, or whatever, once in a while and get away from their wives, you know, and they, yeah. they say all this stuff. It's, it's exactly what happened with me. They took that I would, you know, we were in church Christians. We were homeschooling during a global pandemic for stability and safety. Um, you know, we, uh, what I didn't get my children processed foods or GMOs. We ate organically and beautiful food and they were healthy. And, uh, I didn't give my children the vaccine, uh, that was experimental at the time and barely tested. And, and thank God that I didn't at that point. And I mean, every single aspect was used against me to take my children they hit everything on the head so that then they can use that subjectively as the keyword to remove children you know from here on out so you know it's about going back and correcting the record i can't do anything about it now because what happens when your appeals court is also corrupt and paid off you know i've got the indian river county racket we've got the florida appeals court we've got the governor uh and the attorney general working with my father the entire thing is corrupt up and down and working with his attorneys out of palm beach which is where epstein is i mean it's it's I don't know how much more we could hand people and and what we do with it. I think that's where I started on my rant was we don't know what to do. You know, we don't have money to do it. That's that's on purpose. They know that. Um, And and so that's where we are until the Well, even if you have money, not necessarily, you still couldn't get anything done. No. And, and the more that I try to do, the more I'm retaliated and my, my life is threatened and my safety and, and most of all my children's safety. I mean, my, we're all sitting around here thinking this is cute when, you know, we're dealing with crazy people that have already had a son turn up missing and worse. And I, I can't even speak those things because I rebuke them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I know that my children are God's children and that they are protected. And I have to stay in that faith, but I, I don't know what it's going to take for the American people. It's it's like, it's so sick. Like something bad is going to have to happen for the people to like, wake up. Is that really where we're at? Cause I don't believe that I'm, I'm not there for that. Like, this is really, really sick and depraved where we're at. The fact that we don't have solutions, what we're waiting for another year for another uh, election for, I mean, I, and I support Trump. I registered to vote for the first time in my life because of that. So I'm not going to hear any, you're anti-Trump, you're blah, 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 blah. No, just because I ha- I know who my real savior is and that's Jesus and I'm not going to put my savior in any man when I also know that the whole point of this is about we, the people coming together and realizing what we need to do and how we figure that out and navigate it so that we can take our country back, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and here's the number you can call. I might have to read it out. I don't think people can see that. I can't see it. It's oh, there we go. 1-800-222-TIPS. TIPS. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I cannot ever get this right. Of the, I'm holding it right in it's, front of it, but it's like it's oh. backwards. Everything's backwards. There we go. I'm sorry. Two, two, two tips. tips. That's Crime Stoppers national number. Uh, but you can do it, or you can use his own number he has on his thing. 
Oh, I would use, if, if you're going to, I would use Crime Stoppers. Um, America's Most Wanted is an entertainment exactly. uh, conglomerate, so they can be subjective and they can easily ignore your reports. Crime Stoppers is obligated yep. to some degree by yep. law to have to investigate any reports. So I'm just throwing that out there. And they actually have a website too. You can do it on their website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can be anonymous. Um, thank you, Lindsay, so much. And, and thank you both. I love you guys. Thank you, everyone that joined tonight. Um, I look forward to next week with Paradise Island, and we keep having more developments in our modern day life every day that keeps coming forward. So uh, let's just let's just keep trucking along here. And again, we ask for the audience participation. Please comment. Please contact us if you have an idea that we haven't thought of. Please let us know if you have a contact that we don't know. Please let us know. That's that's what this is about. We we can't do it without coming together. So. Amen. All right, everybody, have a blessed night. Hope y'all hear that? The, Hold on. This we're gonna end on this one. Hold on. <laughs> Lindsay, I love you. <laughs> Lindsay, you really did an amazing job tonight. You did. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, it, it why does it sound like it's right there? Okay, here we go. Hold on. I gotta go sing worship in a couple hours. Come on, Ooh. guys. <laughs> Central America, we want to hear from you too. Please send us your tips. Call 1-866-AFW-TIPS or go to awtips.com. Remember, you can always, and we guarantee it, remain anonymous. He's promising, right, Lens? Did you see what he said? Oh, and to our friends in Mexico uh, as well, we want to hear from you. Oh, I didn't hear that. Okay, we, we did notice that he has quite a high following uh, in Mexico. And to our friends in Mexico and Central America, we want to hear from you too. Please send us your tips. Call one Is that like Carlos Slim? Who are we talking to? I mean, or... I'm just thinking, how does he have any friends of, of Hispanic descent if that's all he's putting behind bars? Supposedly. Well, it's interesting that if you have anything going, I will say just in theory, side note, it's separate mm-hmm. from John Walsh altogether, nothing related whatsoever. But if, because we know the ways of social media, if you have followers in in general, right, You they can hit the notifications button, right? So they get mm-hmm. every notification that you put out every time you post. And if you're putting out comms, or you're putting out things, then all those people would get informed, wouldn't they, the second it happens? I don't know. Just funny. It's weird how that works. Yeah. Yep. All right. I've never heard him say that before, though. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. So. He's being very specific these days, just like the Brian Laundry, but yep. in the Bahamas, but I used to be on Paradise Island. I'd never heard him specifically say Paradise Island in an interview any, ever. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for joining. Please join us next week because this obviously keeps going on and on. So uh, (laughs) we thank you again, and we hope everyone has a blessed Sunday and a wonderful week ahead, and we will see you next Saturday on Reexamined. Have a good night. Take care.